Oh, want to look at First Samuel 17. For those of us who are always conversant in reading the Bible, that account there is about David's clash with Goliath. I want to extract an important lesson <clears throat> from that encounter. We are reading from verse 20. First Samuel 17, we are reading from verse 20 to verse 37. And the word of God says, And David rose up early in the morning and left the ship with the keeper and took and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the trench as the host was going forth to the battle, uh, to the fight, and shouted for the battle. For Israel and the Philistines had put the battle in array, army against army. And David left his carriage in the hand of the keeper of the carriage and ran into the army and came and saluted his brethren. And as he talked with them, behold, there came up the champion, the Philistine the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, out of the army of the Philistines, and speak according to the same word that he has been speaking for 40 days. And David had them. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him, and were so afraid. And the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man that is come to surely Come up, surely to defy Israel, is he come up? And it shall be that the man who killeth him, the, man will, the king will enrich him with great riches, and will give him his daughter, and make his father's house free in Israel. And David, and David spake to the man that stood by him, saying, What shall be done to the man that killeth this Philistine? And take it away the reproach from Israel. For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him after this manner, saying, So shall it be done to the man that killeth him. And Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he made when he spake unto the men. And Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, Why camest thou down hither? And with whom have thou left few sheep, those few sheep in the wilderness? I know thy pride and the naughtiness of thy heart. For thou art come down that thou mightest see the battle. And they will say, What have I now done? Is there not a cause, a reason? And he turned from him towards another and speak after the same manner. And the people answered him again after the formal manner. Now, I think I have gotten as far. Was it 37? Let's go ahead. After the formal manner. And when the words were heard which David speak, they rehearsed them before Saul, and he sent for him. He sent for David, and David said unto Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of this, because of him. Thy servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Thou art not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. For thou art but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. And David said unto Saul, 
He gave a testimony. That a servant kept his father's sheep. And there came a lion and a bear. And I took a, that, and took a lamp. Out of the flock. And I went out after him. And smoothed him. And delivered it out of, the mouth, out of his mouth. And when he arose against me. I caught him by his beard. And smote him and killed him. Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them. Seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. David said moreover. The Lord that delivered me from the paw of the lion. And out of the paw of the bear. He will deliver me. Out of the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said unto David. Go. And the Lord be with you. By the grace of God, I want to share with you an important principle. If you are going to be prevailing worker, you are going to prevail as a worker. I want to share a very, very important principle with you today. As a Christian worker. I'm going to share with you things you need to know. And when you know what you need to know, then you are strengthened by what you know. And then you can prevail, you can overcome whatever complications or contradictions or issues or circumstances you find yourself in the Lord's vineyard as you walk. Let us pray. Father, I want to thank you for the opportunity that we have today through which and by which we have mingled our voices and praise and prayer and worship and adoration to your name. We thank you for the privilege you have in Christ, especially to be counted with those who are serving. Help us today not to do violence to your word. Let your word and your spirit freely flow among us. And let it be, Lord, at the end of the day that the things we learn, we will inculcate them into our lives and our work and uh, we shall profit exceedingly from them to the glory and honor of your name. Thank you, Father. We honor and praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I have been involved in Christian work. In other words, I've been a worker and I've been involved in service in the Lord's vineyard for 42 years. That is older than many of you here. When I say many, I know many. And so what I'm about to share with you is taken from my experience in working for the Lord. I'm going to mingle my experience with the word and what I'll be sharing with you. And if you are going to be relevant for a long time to come, and you are going to be able to progress in the work of God, and you are going to leave your footprints and your fingerprints on the sands of your time, this is a very important subject that you need to understand. Let me first of all define what the word experience, what does it mean? Experience can be defined as all the events or occurrences which has left an impression on us. That's my experience. All the events and occurrences that have left their impressions on us. 
we have marital experience, we have experience with relationship experience, we have financial experience. All those refer to all the events and occurrences which has left an impression on us. It can also be defined as the knowledge or skill we acquired from doing, seeing, and feeling something. Knowledge or skill that we acquired from doing, from seeing, or feeling something. So I want to share with you an important knowledge that I've acquired from doing the work, seeing the work, and of feeling things in the 42 years of my relevant exposure. Experience can also be defined as things, that's the third definition, things that happen to us that affected us. Things that happen to us. You know, the Englishman says experience is the best teacher, but other people's experiences are better. You don't have to go through what they went through. They went through it which I believe that if they properly employ and deploy, you will learn a lot from it. Experience is the best teacher. And so like I said, the word experience means things that happened to us that affected us. I'm, guys, I'm sharing something with you that happened to me and affected me positively. If you see any good in my life today, they are from the things that I had to go through, that I had to experience. So the knowledge and the skill that I acquired as I was going through those things is the bedrock of what I'm sharing with us here today. Experience can also be defined as the knowledge or skill we have in a place, in a position, or in an activity we have been involved in, which we gained because we have participated in that activity. Let me go into it again. It can be defined as the knowledge or skill we have in a place, position, or activity that I have gained or that you have gained because you have been involved in that activity. I've been in all kinds of positions. There was a time when I was just an ordinary Christian who was not serving. Then there came a time when I started serving. There came a time when I was leading a group of people in serving. There came a time when I was supervising those who were leading other people in service. There came a time when I pastored a church. There came a time when I founded several churches. There came a time when those that I pastored now started planting the churches. They also started planting churches that I did earlier in my life. So I have gone through different levels of experiences. And so what I'm saying to you is comprehensive. At this level, I'm a father in the faith, an apostle in the body of Christ. The body of Christ. I've traveled to 106 countries and territories on all the six habitable continents of the world. I've preached in all kinds of denominations. In fact, I've preached in Muslim gatherings. Gone to Celestia Church, Church of God in Christ, Church of God outside Christ. I have been in all of these places. So what I'm sharing with you is they are gleaned from all of those exposure activity. And so when I tell you something, I always tell you when I tell you something, if you don't understand now, then you're going to learn it through experience of your own. Because you don't have to. 
that I have expressed is enough reason why you don't have to express if I tell you. And you learn from what I've said. And that is the reason for this today. Now, there are three things about all our experiences in life. And I want you to understand this because the day will come when you will sit where I'm sitting today. This was not the place where I met Pastor Emmanuel when I met him for the first time. He wasn't sitting as a leader. He wasn't speaking to other people. He was one of those being spoken to. So, evidently, he has learned, you know, and that's why I say something. In the school of experience, if you do not learn what you need to learn once, you have an opportunity to retake the subject. There are receipts in the school of experience. If you don't learn something, well, if you go through it, I know a friend of mine who has married four women. He's married four times. The first time he married and made a mistake, before he married, I told him, don't do this. He went ahead and did it. Now, he came out. He didn't learn. So he married a second woman. And when I met the woman we were married, I didn't, I didn't sit down with that woman for more than five minutes before I knew something was wrong. And I told him, hmm. He said, ah, you're always seeing it. Well, two, three years, he had to drop out. He married a third woman. When he told me the circumstance where he married the third woman, I said, what did you do? I said, married me in heaven. I said, married me in heaven, I dissolve here on earth. I said, you can, go. I said, you can take this to the bank. I've had it before. Oh, love has first sight. Ah. <laughs> ah. And he dropped that one. So now recently he married the fourth person. And he's not older than me. And he has gone through four women. Many of you know Larry King. He used to have a TV program. Larry King married seven times. He married six times. He was looking for the perfect woman. And when he was going to marry the seventh time, he was so excited. And people say, why are you so excited? He said, in the first six marriages, I was looking for a perfect woman. I couldn't get one. He said, so I discovered that the problem was not with all those six women. The problem was with me. So he now said, I have decided to make myself the perfect man. So today he's married to that seventh one and it's a stable marriage. But you see, did he have to navigate through six women to marry the right one? For all you care, nothing is wrong with those six women. It was him something was wrong with. And he did not extract things from experiences. So there are three things about the school of experience I want you to understand. You are going through your own now. You may be in the kindergarten of this school, but you are in school already. Look at your neighbor and say, you are in the school of experience. Okay, number one, whatever experience you go through in life, whether it's relationship, financial, with reference to the work of God, embrace it. Say yes. Do not deny the experience you have. We are going to go have good, bad, and ugly experiences. And by the time I begin to speak to you today, you will see that it's something you are going to have to embrace. You are going to have to take it on board. Apostle Paul was talking about his experience in Second Corinthians 11 from verse 23 to 28. Not all of them were pleasant. They were good ones. They were bad ones. They were ugly ones. Number two, the second thing in the school of experience is that you need to learn how to extract lessons from every experience. You have a broken courtship, learn something. Write down what you've learned. Philippians 4, 9 says, The things you have learned, you have received, you have had, and you have seen in me, do. 
you and I should be ever learning. Learn from the experience of losing money. Learn from the experience of losing a child. Learn from the experience of losing a job. Learn from the experience, whatever experiences are. Extract lessons. Number three, which is what I want to do, is that you employ those experiences by using it to help other people. Your experience should not only help you, but other people around you. And that is what I want to share with you as to what I want to use my experience for. There are six things our experience can be used for. This is just a background to my message. It's not going to be a long message. Don't worry. The first thing you use your experience to do is that you use your experience to minister to people who are going through pain. If you have had an experience and it's been a painful one and you see someone else who is going through the same pain, you can empathize instead of sympathizing. If you are going through a heartbreak in relationship and you see someone who is going through such a thing? Now, you can use your experience to minister. We minister to people in pain that you and I have suffered before. That's the first thing you use your experience for. Number two, you can use your experience to motivate people. To motivate them to do what? To get up from where they are falling. We use our experience to let them know that this thing is not going to be there forever. It's just a season. It's not for every season. It is just present now. It should not be the precedent. We use our experience to minister to those in pain, but use also our experience to motivate people who are discouraged. People who are discouraged. Have I been discouraged in ministry before? Oh, yes. Pastor in the church. Have I been discouraged before? Oh, yes. When people in our church and some ministers left our church, I was discouraged. When people I spend my energy and time in raising up, overnight, felt I didn't know how to do it. I was discouraged. And I went to God. Even that one occasion I went to God, I said, I'm not going to raise ministers again. I'm not going to raise ministers again. Because all of the people I've raised have gone from me. Now, Apostle Paul went through the same thing. When all the ministers he raised in Asia, they left him alone. They went away. They left. But that did not kill his ministry. That ministers or members leave a place doesn't kill the thing. It even serves as an occasion to justify that you have the real thing. So, I've had an experience like that. And I went to God and I said, I don't want to raise ministers again. God said, you have done what you need to do. I will reward you for that. For what they did, I will reward them for that. That was how I was lifted. And many times, I was in a pastor's church who had seven pastors, who in a single week of seven days, all the seven pastors left. So I was able to use my experience to do what? Minister to him in his pain. But also, I used it to do what? Motivate him. Today he has over 32 ministers. This was the same man who lost seven. I've been one of my members in another one of our churches, waited on God for 15 years to have a child. Eventually, they had a child. And um, when the baby came out, very strangely, medical people will understand it. The baby came out, but the bowels were not covered. The bowels were open. So all the intestine, everything was visible. The doctors tried all they could. The baby died. 
But I've seen that kind of thing before. So I say, okay. I said, I remember a couple who had this kind of similar experience. And I was part of their process. I said, I'm going to pray for you. And you're going to have two children in place of this one. And I prayed for the man that day. They just came out of the hospital disappointed, heartbroken. They didn't want to serve God anymore. They felt that everything was gone. So what did I do? I prayed. I told him, I said, ah, this is not strange. Think it's not strange. Concerning those fairy trials, I will try you. As though something strange has happened. I prayed for the man. The first child that had the boy come out, they went to South Africa to deliver the baby. I told him, I said, when you have a baby this time, go to the U.S. and deliver your children. When they came to the U.S., to, I mean, the pregnancy had to be nurtured by people here and all that. The man gave birth. He gave birth to a set of twins, boys. God rewarded him. So you use experience to do what? Motivate, to tell people, stand up. Don't sit down. Seven times a righteous man will fall and he will rise again. Number three, we also use our experience to model for other people. To model for other people. Use your experience to model for other people. I tell people, in life, I never started at the top of the ladder. I started at the bottom of the ladder. At a stage, my father looked at me and said I was the black sheep of the family. Black sheep of the family. And I looked at him that day in 1971. I came back from school. I was in form three. And all my positions in the class were higher than my marks in the exam that we took. You know, in the class of 41, if you score 15%, your position will be 30 something. And my father looked at me and said, You are the black sheep of the family. And he said, No. So I always tell people, your father even can be wrong. Other people who have looked at you and felt you cannot amount to anything. There used to be a member of our church. I used to call him Bartholomew. You know, Bartholomew was one of the apostles of Christ, but you never heard that he did anything. You heard about Thomas. You heard about Peter. You heard about James. You heard about John. All of them had their various things, but Bartholomew, mm-hmm, he was one of the people that completed the number. So there was this guy in church. He was always sitting on my right hand like this. Whenever I lift up my hand, he's always there. There has never been any service, weekend service, Sunday, Friday prayer meeting, midweek teachings. He's always there. So I started, and he was not a worker in church at all. So I started calling him Bato. So whenever I look, I always see him there. So I called him Bartholomew. Now he did something to me. He now made vests of various colors red, green, blue, black. And he wrote across the chest of the vest, be patient. God is not through with me yet. So whenever I look at him and say, Bato, he will stand up and say, read, read. Be patient. God is not through with me yet. Now, I'm saying all of this for you to understand that I use my experience to model, to let you know that where are you that I have not been? If God brought me from the backside of the desert, to the six continents of the world, of course, he'll do the same to you. For example, I use it to model your pastor here. Your pastor has a grace that will take him to the six continents of the world. And who knows, by the time his real tongue comes, probably there will be people in Antarctica who are going to be living there. So I use my experience to model. I said, who will ever have thought that someone like me can become who I am today? I was looked down upon by everybody. Everywhere I went to, I never used to be too big. I used to be very tiny. 
And that's why I became very tough. You know, and the toughness brought me to the limelight. Though it was, you know, to, you know, small people always have a way which they want to make their presence felt. Okay, so I use my experience to model. I'll be referring to a lot of that. Number four, we also use our experience to mentor. To mentor. At times, you know, when you look at some people, you see yourself in them, and you take them on board and intentionally. You see, mentoring is intentionally. You take someone, probably you are a single mother, then you see another younger girl who is a single mother. You now take that single mother and mentor them. You use your experience to mentor by taking interest in a person and by helping them. To mentor means to coach. You use your experience to coach. You know. Number five, we also use our experience to understand people. You know, some of us don't understand some people. You don't understand some people. You see some person and uh, they say they try to commit suicide. Say, ah, why will you do that? <laughs> uh, if you've almost done it before, you will understand them. Many of us don't understand what it is not to have eaten in the morning. I know what it is. When I see people come to me and say, I'm hungry, help me. I, my experience, let me remember. Because in those days when we were in the university, is zero zero one. How many of you understand that formula? Okay, a one zero one. I can see many of you understand. So, uh, when somebody say I'm hungry, no matter whatever I want to do, I will make sure I solve that issue of hunger. I remember Bessie in the house taught us this. You know, Bessie in the house one day we visited him from Ilorin, and when we got there, he was about to eat, and when he came. He said, wow. He said, I, I had a feeling that this food was not mine. He said, those of you coming from a trip, sit down and eat. Later on, I asked him, I said, why did you do that? He said, I've been hungry before. I know what it is to be hungry. I know what it is to be so hungry that you drink plenty water. And he said, no. Look, I've got, there was a day I was so hungry after my father died. I went into a restaurant. I ordered for food. I ate. I stood and I walked out. And they were following me. Say that I was just going. So the owner of the said, "Leave him." Whatever will make someone do that? I mean, I didn't care for anything. How can I be hungry at this restaurant? They are cooking there. I entered. I entered. <laughs> so use your experience to understand people. You see, people who, under, who have gone through some things understand better. That is why, you know, as older people, you tolerate some of the excesses of younger people. Because you understand them. Like they say where I come from, old people come and vow or come and uh, is it uh, take an oath that you are not once young. David said, I was young. Now I am old. I've never seen the righteous forsaken or children begging for bread. So you experience to understand people. Many of you don't understand why someone would be doing such a thing. Hmm. If you've gone through it, you understand. That's why our experience is very important. And then lastly, we also use our experience to do what? To prove God's faithfulness. You know, while you go through stuff, you are able to say God is faithful. 
I was telling a woman recently who had gone through all kinds of problems. I said, God will never leave you. He said, how do you know? I said, I know from experience. He says in John 14, 18, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come back. When the three Hebrew children jumped into the fire by an act of commitment to the living God, what did God do? He entered into the fire with them. I said, I know from experience that God is faithful. How many of you know God is faithful? I always tell people today, no matter how low or how down you are, God is there with you. When you are down to nothing, God is up to something. Now, I have said all of that. I want to share with you some positions that serving will put you. Some positions that service or serving God, either as a minister, a deacon, a youth pastor, a youth coordinator, a leader of young people, a men's fellowship president, a women's fellowship president. There are some positions that the work of God will put you that you need to understand. You need to understand it. Because some people don't understand some positions that serving puts them. And therefore, they probably give up. Say, no, it's not working. No, I can't continue. Being an HOD, pastor of a church, mother in Israel, deacon, head of ministry, put us all in a position. And I'm going to give you eight different positions that this will put you, and then I will amplify on the eighth one a little bit. Number one, the work of God will put you not just in a position where you are going to be loved by many, but it will always put you in a position where you are going to be hated. The work of God will put you in a position where you are going to be loved by many people. Jesus had a multitude following him. Matthew 14, 14. Matthew 15, 32. Matthew 19, 2. Matthew 20, 29. Matthew 21, 9. He said the multitude followed him. The work of God will put your position where you are going to be loved by many people. The Bible says concerning Jesus in Mark 1, 45. They came to Jesus from every quarter. If you read Luke chapter 5 verse 15, Luke chapter 6 verse 17, it says people came from every direction. John 12, 32 said, And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw men. So, the same way, doing the work of God that Jesus did, made him to be loved by other people, it also made him to be hated by other people. So do not expect that everyone will love you because you are working for God. You could be hated. You could be hated. The Bible says in the last days, Matthew 24, 10, many shall be offended, many will betray one another, and many will hate one another. What was the reason why the brother of Joseph hated him? Because he had a vision. Your vision irritates somebody. 
The way you are moving up and down, serving God, bouncing in Christ. Is that everybody who is happy? Oh, you think everybody is happy with you? Let me tell you this. In the year 2002, June 20th, four hired assassins came to my house. Showed me my picture, took me, put me in handcuffs, put me in leg off. When the matter was reported to the PFN, Pentecostal Fellowship of Nigeria, Quara State Branch, one man there stood up and said, it serves him right that I was treated like that. Will you expect a Christian to be like that? It you put in a position where people will love you. People will love you for drumming, love you for singing, love you for leading prayer, love you for cleaning the church. But there are some people who are not going to love you. And you know what? That should not stop you. They are not going to love you because whenever the pastor says, come, you go, they say, look at the dog of Pastor Emmanuel. Look at him. He's a dog. They will say, even behind, I can't stand him. How many of you have heard that before? <sighs> Some people don't love Victory House. They are Christians, so born again. <laughs> The Bible tells us all of this, and I'm going to refer you to some scriptures in a minute. Just like Jesus attracted the crowd, Jesus said in John 15 verse 25, he said, they hated me without a cause. No reason. Have you ever seen someone who hates you and there's no reason why he hates you? Where I come from, especially for those of you who speak Yoruba, they say, and you won't hear we like you. Ijalara some people hate you and when you ask them why they have no reason the bible says in john 16 2 he said the time is coming when them who kill you we think they are doing god a service so as a worker you need to know that you have enemies if you want to count them you know the bible says, count, the song says count your blessings name them i always tell them you can't count your blessing except you are not blessed when you are blessed, you don't say, count your blessing. You say, what the Lord has done for me, I cannot tell it. That is real blessing. Not count. What will you count? Even since this morning, what will you count? The Bible says the people who hate you, their number, according to Psalm 69 verse 4, are more than the hair on your head. If you cannot count the hair on your head, like uh, Pastor Toyosi or a minister, you will see some black spots inside their, their skin. Count it. He said there are more than the hair on my head. One verse of scripture says it like this. Psalm 38 verse 19. It says those who hate me without, in a wrong way have multiplied. Since the time this church started, the people who hated this church and this man and all the other people who were serving, they have multiplied. And so you need to understand what you are contending against. So when you go to places, be careful. Because you see, we assume, ah, I'm a child of God, I'm a minister of gospel. Oh. That is why you see that most relationships that are out there on the social media don't survive. People forget that. No matter what good you do. Even when Jesus was here, there are people who are trying to kill him. He came to die for them. But, 
they wanted to kill him. Now, there are so many scriptures we can look again and again. And I want you to know that Joseph, because of the call of God on his life, was hated by his brother. We cannot be greater than his master, our master. Luke 6.40 He said, disciple cannot be greater than his master. He that shall be perfect shall be like his master. The apostles were not liked by the Sahendrin. The, 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 the religious hierarchy of the days of the apostles didn't like them. They didn't like them. For whatever reason, I don't know. One person said, the reason why they don't like them is because by what they were doing, they were exposing their own weaknesses. I always tell pastor's wife, not all the women like you. I'm not saying you should be looking at anybody with suspicion. I'm telling you, some people will want to hear something negative. So you need to understand that. In this work, you are doing your best. Don't expect to be appreciated and liked by everybody. Because not everybody will do it. But you see, so you know the kind of things you are going to have to prevail over. If you don't know the height of an obstacle, you will not know the energy you need to jump over it. I remember I was in a particular place and you know, I preached, I preached, and I finished. I quoted scriptures like I normally do without fun, without fanfare. The next man took the microphone and said, what Reverend George did is nothing extraordinary. A parrot that is well taught can do what he did. What do you do to that? In my, ah, in my presence, Koro Koro, I sat down there. He said, what has he done that is extraordinary? He said, a parrot. That is well taught. We, <laughs> we do the same thing. You know what I did? I smiled. You can never make me bitter. Make up your mind. It's not everyone who likes you. And they are not supposed to. They may be fellow laborers. They may be outside laborers. But your position in the work of God, while it will cause some people to like you, it will cause some other people to hate you. Jesus had his own share. Joseph had his own share. David had his own share. You discover that when he said, what will be given to this person? All of a sudden, the senior brothers became, ah! Uh-uh. We know why you are here. You came here to reveal how weak we are, Abby. We'll see what will happen to you. Then he told them, he said, what have I not done? He said, not a reason. You sing very well in the choir. They always put you to be solo artists. They say, uh, what is it? Look at the, uh, the, the, the blood vessel on his neck. Show it. How many of you have heard that before? Me, I've heard it. Born again people. Spiritual. <laughs> Spiritual. What's he singing? Every time they say anybody should sing, they say, what's the good thing? Number two. When you understand this, it helps you. I have been there. Some people wish me dead. He said, it serves him well. Pentecostal pastor. And people say, ah! They never expected it. You see, in this work, Christ has left for us an example. Number two. The second thing you need to know is this. Is that the work of God will also put you in a position position 
where you are going to be dealing with many good people. But also, you are going to have to deal with wicked and unreasonable people. You are going to deal with good people. The Bible was telling us about uh, Joseph of Arimathea. And the word of God refers to Joseph of Arimathea as a good person that Jesus had to deal with. You are going to be dealing with good people, ugly people, and bad people. You are going to have to deal with hypocrites. People are very hypocritical. You are going to have to deal with people, not just hypocrites, but people who are backstabbers. You are going to deal with people with poor social skills. You are going to deal with literate and illiterate. People who don't know anything. Apostle Paul was saying, he said, brethren, pray for us. Second Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 2. He said, brethren, pray for us. That God will deliver us from unreasonable and wicked people. For not all men have faith. Not all men have faith. You are going to be dealing with unreasonable and wicked people. Because all men don't have faith. Do you know what it is for Jesus Christ to deal with ignorant and unlearned men? Because that was the kind of persons that were his apostles. One time he told them in John 11, he said, our friend Lazarus sleepeth and I go to wake him up. And Thomas said, "Uh uh-uh. If he sleepeth, leave him alone. Why are you going to wake him up? Then he said, our friend Lazarus is dead. He said, let us, then another one said, let us go and die with him. Now, those are the kind of people you are going to be dealing with. Have you ever seen that in the Bible? Open to John 11. So, you see, you see some of these things, I say, ah. But he was able to use them. You are not going to be dealing with people who already finished products. John 11. I read from verse 11, there was why he started speaking of verse 7 and 8, I think. Yes. John 11. Now I read from verse 6. When he had heard thereof that he was sick, he abode two days still in the same place where he was. Then after that he said to his disciples, Let us go into Judea again. The disciples said unto him, Master, the Jews of late sought to stone thee, and goest down thither. And Jesus answered, Are there not twelve and so and so on? And then he told them, Then look at verse 11. These things said he, and after that he said unto them, our friend Lazarus sleepeth, but I go and I wake him out of sleep. Verse 12. Then said his disciple, Lord, if he's sleeping, he shall do well. Leave him alone. Now, he went ahead and said, how be Jesus speak of his death? But they thought that he had spoken of taking of rest in sleep. I mean, recently I remember Pastor Emmanuel was not happy with Brother Moses. And I say, you have not started. What is a doctor? Smart. But smart in book is not smart in ministry. One of the worst people I've dealt was a professor. Professor of chemistry. He professed chemistry, but he's zero when it comes to spiritual things. 
When you say things like this, he will think like this. So I asked, I said, he said, no, I think like a chemist. I said, no, you can't use the mind of a chemist to understand the Bible. <laughs> so understand that. Look at that. But a man walked, and then he said, he just said, verse 13, how big Jesus spake of his death. But they thought that he had spoken of taking of rest in sleep. Then said Jesus unto them, plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I'm glad for your sake that I was not there. To the intent you may believe, nevertheless, let us go unto him. Then said Thomas, which is called Thomas, unto his fellow, fellow, fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Now look, that's the kind of person you are dealing with. People without understanding. Dull people. Buruntu people. You will deal with smart people, but you deal with idiots. Idiots. He said, bring, he said, roll the stone away. He said, ah, he has been dead for four days now. You, you will deal with people who, it's not that they are opposing you, but they don't know better. That's the second set of people you are going to deal with. You deal with those who love you, but you also deal, why would deal with good people? Working in the ministry also sir, to deal with terrible people. I have dealt with terrible people in some churches that I've gone to. Terrible protocol officers that you felt like remove your trousers. Let me flog this idiot. You will deal with false brethren. Paul had to pray in a place I said, Alexander the Coppersmith did me much evil. May the Lord reward him. You know there are some prayers you pray. I went to a freedom ceremony of a printer. When we got there, the master printer was praying for this apprentice who was going now, who was now finished. He said, may God, in his infinite mercy, give you people like you who are going to work with you. Nobody could say amen. No. <laughs> now, I'm telling you this so that you know that you have a lot of battle on your hands. You are going to deal with ignorant and unreasonable people. You are going to deal with false brethren. False brethren. I'm sorry to say this. Some ministers will come here that are false ministers. Because it's not every one of them that we know. What we see is their ministry. We don't know many things about their character. That's why I told Pastor Emmanuel, if you are going to invite someone, bring someone you know. I've invited a bishop to our pulpit. That a member went somewhere to do medicine for money and he saw the bishop there. You know, there are some people that when you look at, you won't be able to say anything. Like they say, where I come from, Orokwe You don't have it. And you are going to have to deal with such people. You are going to deal with wives that are reasonable to their husbands. And you're going to deal with husbands that are reasonable. And you're going to be the pastor. Some people you want to help, they'll be accusing you of manipulation. Ignorant and unlearned men. Men with poor social skills. Men with irritating mannerisms. If you fly many times, you're going to sit next to somebody with irritating mannerisms. I sat down with one man on a flight of two hours. I said, oh, just two hours. You know the worst thing is that he's a minister. Every day they do. Hey, 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 hey. 
But you know what? You are in this boat together. It's like Noah's Ark. You are not going anywhere. So you need to develop capacity to do what? To overcome that. Overcome their stupidity. Jesus had to overcome that. One time, just what Christ was saying in Matthew 14. He said, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. And then the apostle looked at the and said, ah, he's talking about the fact that we did not bring along bread. How does the leaven of Pharisees look like loaves of bread? Read it, Matthew 14. What he was talking about, beware of the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. In the church of God, there are hypocrites. There are liars. There are dishonest people. When I send some of our people on errands and say, get me the receipt. They say, why? <laughs> I said, the Bible says, prove all things. And hold fast to what is true. Why do you find it difficult to get receipt? Why? You are going to deal with some people in ministry. Okay? You see, because most people will just think that, ah, he's a member of a church now. He's a deacon. Is this is that leave a little space so that you understand what you are doing when john the baptist was dealing with some people in the book of matthew chapter 3 verse 7 he called them a generation of snakes he called them snakes do you know there are snakes in god's house how many of you know that snakes were in the noah's ark monkeys giraffes you know what a giraffe is a giraffe is somebody who can see knows uh, those are people who have peeping peeping tongue their neck are giraffing they are looking at your affairs they want to know everything and then there are monkeys they like to pray all the time even when you don't want to play you are going to have to deal with playful people we are going to deal with snakes how many of you know that some brethren who are like this when it comes to financial matters they put your hand in it and close the door. He said, but the people who have cheated me in my life are Christians. One person, a born again spirit filled Christian, that I raised up myself, duped me of 100 million naira. One person. So you can see what I've suffered. <laughs> you see, why I'm saying this to you is for you to program yourself. In a proper and a decent manner. Because you are going to have to deal with them. The work of God involves people you are going to deal with in the church and outside. And outside. One man came to me one day and said, Sir, I don't want to be a born again Christian again. I said, Why? He said, I went to so and so ministry. Listen to this. They wanted to buy a camera. The price of the camera is $150,000. He said, the man who was in charge of, he said, born again pastor, pastor, filthy pastor, who has been put in charge of procurement, told him to write $250,000. He said, he now looked at him and said, even the people who manufactured the camera, they did not make $100,000 on it. Because the 150 that I told you, is for manufacturing, processing, shipping, and all of that. Say now you want to. They said, if you cannot write it, go. Later on, someone now came to him because he's supposed to be the distributor of those cameras. And said, Can I get a camera of this person? He said, Yes, we have it. He said, How much is this? One fifty thousand. 
So the person said, well, they told me I went there. They said I should quote 350,000 born again people. Don't let some of these things give you the impression that there are certain things you are going to have to prevail over. You are going to have capacity and you are going to ask God for grace as a worker. Let it be possible for me to work. Look, me, I can work with Satan. No. In the same department, I can work with Satan. So far, the results for the work of God comes out. There are people when they act like this, they say, ah, but is this person born again? How many of you have been there before? They say, ah, is this person a born again Christian? Is this person a pastor? I was in the church one day. Protocol office, I was serving me Jews. And he poured the thing, he shook it, poured it one glass, I drank it. Shook it again to mix it, poured the second glass, I drank it. So I put my cup under. Then he shook the glass, he shook the one that was left. So I said, Why are you shaking it? He said, I, I felt that you are going to leave some for the boys. Now, that is a protocol officer. That is a protocol officer. I have been taken from the airport by an assistant pastor in Atlanta. From where we got, it took me to where we got to church, he was talking about his pastor negatively. It was this pastor who made him an assistant pastor. He had a child in that. Then he said something very close to the church. He said, I have left the church. The pastor does not just know it. I said, really? He said, yes, I've started house fellowship from among the members of the church. To cut the long story short, when we got to the church, the pastor said, oh, I hope you met my assistant pastor. That's my assistant pastor. He has, he, he's, a, he's, a, he's a great man. He's a, my right-hand man. Ah. <laughs> so I called the assistant pastor. I said, come. I told the pastor, in the pastor I said, if this man is your right-hand man, then your right hand is amputated. That is amputated. He said, Why? I said, Sir, all those things you told me from the airport to this place, including the house relationship that you have started, tell him. <laughs> there are some people you are going to meet nice people, wonderful people, good people, but you are also going to meet what? Wicked and unreasonable men, false brethren who come in. To know what is in your mind, only to go and report it somewhere. Friends who call themselves friends but are actually working against your welfare. That's number two. Let's go on here. So you're going to work with snakes. You're going to work with people with deep insecurities. There are some pastors who are not secure. And when you try to be who you are, one of my the person who left our ministry some years ago went and worked in a particular ministry and he came to me and said he has left. I said, why did you leave? He said, sir, every time the pastor says I should do something on stage and I go there and I quote scripture, I quote scripture. I said, people don't understand it. Why are you always quoting? Do you want to expose my weakness? Then he stopped giving him responsibilities. The pastors feel insecure. There are insecure pastors' wives. When I say Sister, you dress nice, you smell nice, and you're the special person in charge of delivering pastor's drink. She look at you like they say, Come here. 
Why are you always serving my husband? Why? Why are you doing one? She has insecurity. I know Pastor Tokpe doesn't have it. She doesn't know anything about that. But I've been in places where as a sister you cannot come near. Ah! Who bought monkey? Insecure. Insecure. Insecure pastors. Insecure pastors what? Insecure assistant pastor. Insecure. Sound managers. You deal with irritating mannerisms. People with poor social skills. People who are coming from a dysfunctional background. Dysfunctional background. Moses had to deal with Pharaoh. In serving, you may have to deal with Pharaoh. Jesus had to deal with Herod. You know what Jesus called Herod? Fox. I wrote a book, a small book. It's titled Herod Antipas. The Fox. Foxes are not very good. We have so many of them in England, even in the community. Do you have foxes here? Do they come into the community? No, in England they come. In fact, they, some of them have made a hole in my, behind my, in my backyard. They jump in. They're very corny, very crafty, very unpredictable. When you least expect them, they show up. When you expect them, they will not show up. Number two. Number three. The third kind of people you are going to deal with is that the work of God will put you in also in the position where you are going to have to want to go to places or to do certain things, want to go to some places rather, where you are going to have to want to go to some places that you love to go. But the work of God will also put you in a position where God will want you to go to some places that you don't want to go. Being a worker, God will put you in a position where you are going to not want to go to some places. The places God's work will take you to at times, you will not like it. You all know about Jonah, how God sent him to Nineveh. Did he want to go there? But you see, one thing about the work of God is this. God told Jeremiah, Jeremiah 1.5, five. said, don't call yourself a child. Before I formed you, I knew you. Before I brought you forth, I did you. He said, you will go to the place that I command you. And the word that I give you, will you speak? I have been made to go to some places I didn't want to go. My experience is some ministries are such that I don't want to go back. And there are some ministries, my experience is good, I want to go, but when I ask God, should I go? God said, don't go. Now, the place I don't want to go, that's where God will send us to. Do you know in a department like ushering, protocol, there are various parts of it that some of us want. But you know, in God's work, you don't choose where you are to go. It is God who decides through the leadership as to where you are to go. Jonah wasn't, didn't want to go to Nineveh. Now, we just read the scripture in John 11 where Jesus had to go back to a place where they almost killed him recently in Judea. Because he said, we are going to Lazarus. Ah, will you go back to that place? That is the place where you were almost killed recently. There are some nations I have been 
that I want to go back to, but God has not allowed me to go back there. There are some nations I've gone to that I don't want to go. And God says, go there. So you know you are going to have to prevail over your feelings. Over your emotions. Whatever is making you not wanting to go to that place, you are going to have to deal with it. Let me give you a good example. I went to Central African Republic. The headquarters of Central African Republic is Bangui. And we went to the community out from this capital to do this outreach. When we got to the place of outreach, there was no flight there, so we had to pass through the forest. And you know, in that part of the world, there are, there are what do you call it, uh, parks are open. You see lion, elephant, rhinoceros, crocodile, everything, roaming freely while you are driving on the road. At times they come and stand on the road. And you are going to wait for them to pass over. So we got to this place and we had our meetings. And after we had our meetings, then they said the king wanted to see us. So we went to the king. And the king said, well, if you are going to have your meeting here consistently and continually, I, the, the night falls here. He said, you cannot leave. You are going to have to come and sleep in the king's palace and have something to do with one of the king's wife. Eh? King's wife? So we said, what if we don't do it? He said, well, the best thing is, you are going to have to travel out of that place in the night. Remember where you are going to pass to? An open grazing land for animals. Lion, leopards, cheetahs, pumas, tigers, roaming freely. You know that night, we had to leave. Or else. Like Joseph was offered. While we were going, I was saying to myself, this is the last time. I will not come here again. That night we slept. As we were sleeping, we just noticed something scratching on the window. It was a lion. Hey! Come and see prayer. I was saying to myself, why should I be praying? Did, did Daniel pray in the lion's den? It's not this kind of lion. This kind of lion is not born again. This is not the one that has a den. This one is a free-ranging lion. That kill and eat. Woke up that day. What is woke up? You sleep so It's now lion is gone. Leopard has showed up. Because they spell human beings. And they wanted to feed on us. That day I said to myself. God. I wouldn't want to go back there. And if another invitation came. Another invitation came, and so the leader of the group said, um, they have invited us back to that place. I said, invited us? I said, you. It was you, David, not us. You know what God said to me? Go. God said, I kept you. Then, I will keep you again. Now, God's work will make you go to places you like to go, but also will make you go to places you don't like to go. That I don't like to go to a place does not mean you are going to be exempted. At times, there was a place God Paul wanted to go to in Acts 16, verse 6. 
He wanted to go. God said no. Acts 16 verse 7. He wanted to go here. God said no. So that is what you need to know about serving. Serving will take you to places you want to. And we also take you to places that you don't want to. It is serving that is, that is so important. I want us to read two places here. Acts 20. So that you understand. There are some places service will take you to. You want to go. There are some places service will take you to. You don't want to go. Acts 20. I read from verse 22 to 24. Look at what it says. He said, and now behold, I go bound in the spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the thing that shall befall me there, save that the Holy Ghost witness in every city, saying that bonds and affliction abide me. But none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I may finish my course with joy and the ministry I have received of the Lord Jesus Christ, to testify the gospel of the grace of God. He said, I go bound in the spirit. In other words, I'm compelled to go. I know what is going to happen. Move on to Acts 21. Look at this again. I read from verse 11. That is another instance of God taking you to a place that you don't want to go. And when, okay, Acts 21, I read from verse 11. And when he was come, in other words, there was a prophet that came. I read from verse 10. And as we tarried there many days, there came down from Judea a certain prophet named Agabus. And when he was coming to us, he took Paul's girdle and bound his own hand and feet and said, Thus said the Holy Ghost, so shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man that owned his girdle and shall deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. And when we had these things, both we and they of that place, besought him, they were besotting Apostle Paul not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, what do you mean to weep and to break my heart? For I am ready not to be bound only but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And when he could not be persuaded, we see saying, the will of the Lord, let it be done. The work of God will take you to places you don't want to go. I was going to travel. Listen to this. I was going to travel one day from Ilori to England. One of my sons, the apostle that came, he now is in Texas, Houston. He was going to have the 20th anniversary of his ministry in England. And he invited me and I prayed about it. And God said, go. Three days before I left, there's this one young man in our church who is a prophet and when he prophesies what he says come to pass the boy stood up and said thus said the holy ghost you must not travel because i perceive there will be a lot of danger on the way so you must not not may not travel but you know what god already told me to go and here is the prophecy when I was using the spirit of God, or God was just warning me about the problem that was going to come, despite the warning, because I was persuaded that God's work was taking me there, I went. When I got there, I told the man the, what happened. The man said, and you came? I said, yes. He said, why did you come? I said, because I was persuaded that God said 
I should come. On that occasion, I almost got killed. But I overcame. You see, when you are in obedience to God sending you to do something in a place where He wants it done, that does not mean there is no danger. Victory is not the absence of danger, but the presence of God. Now, why do you need victory if there will not be opposition? We call ourselves Victory House. There will be things of God will want the place God wants you to go, but there will also be warning. Yesterday we came here, didn't we? There are some churches that canceled their program yesterday. They did not get the victory. Everyone was got home well. Now that is it about the work of God. You see, let me say this to you. Every time you shake back from danger, you curtail your prospects in ministry. Every time. Be, I will expand on that later. Every time you need to step back because of a challenge that is obvious, you reduce your effectiveness and your capacity to succeed. That's why the word prevail is there. There will be nothing to prevail over if there are no obstacles. There will be present. The obstacles will be present. Traffic will come. Anything will be on the way. This two, this two places, the man said, I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem. I know I must be in Jerusalem. Whatever the prophet has to say will not stop me. And that prophet was one of the best prophets in those days. And, he, and exactly what he said came to pass. Because Apostle Paul was arrested and thrown into jail. These are principles you need to know there are times when you are convinced this is what God wants me to do. It does not mean there will not be problem there. But you see, be of good cheer. You have overcome because he has already overcome too. So understand it. Danger is not the absence of danger. The problem is not the absence of danger, but the presence of God. So God's work. No one wants to go to a place where they are going to suffer. When Jesus was supposed to go to the cross, did he go joyfully? He didn't want to go to... Look, even as he knew that he came to this world to die for sins, and he knew the way he was going to die, because already written in scriptures, that was going to be lifted up from the ground. And that was what was going to make him not a savior of the Jews, but a savior of the whole world. But when the time came, he said, he prayed, even prayed, Lord, if it be your will, let this thing be turned away. He prayed three times. And all the three times, the place where God was sending him to, was trying to resist it. He had no option but go to the cross. Do you remember that when he was going to the cross and he had all the issues, the Bible said God sent an angel of the Lord who came to strengthen him. I've gone to places that if not for the angel of his presence, I wouldn't have survived. But go, I must. Because the time to go has already come. Number four, the work of God also will put you in a situation where you are going to have to do something that you like to do. But also put you in a situation where you will 
have to do something you don't like. I don't like to suspend my pastors. I don't like to punish erring workers. I don't like it. But the call of the work of God puts me in a position where if the work will not be destroyed, then we must discipline people. I don't want to call a sister and a brother up and say they are pregnant with each other. That's the last thing I want to do. It's not something I want to do. But you see, the work of God that I'm involved in requires us to discipline. It's part of training. The work of God will put us in a situation where we are going to punish the work of God also put you where you are going to do something you like. Now, it's not every time I like to give because I'm human. It's not every time you two like to give. It's not every time I like to serve. There are times I'm tired. But I have to. So the work of God will take you to a place where you do what you like to do. Oh, get you to a position where you do what you like to do and at times where you do what you don't like to do. You don't like to do it. You don't like to... I was in a place one day. God told me to go to the place. When I got there, they were raising building pledge. God said, clear your account. How many of you would like to clear your account? No, that's it. But I had to. I had to. Clear my account. I went to a particular place. And when I got there, what God asked me to do, I said, this is tough. He said, do it nonetheless. So understand that. So that you understand what you need to prevail over. It's not everything that you like to do. There are some protocol officers who don't like to drive. There are some who like driving. But God will now at times give you a position and a walk. That he wants you to do that you don't like. It's so important for us to realize that. You won't like it. But you are expected to do it. Do you know there is a time that came for me. Where I did not like disciplined workers. Because they are my sons. But you see, I had to discipline some of them. I had to suspend pastors and cry overnight. Because it's weighed very heavily on my spirit. These are people who are, they've been working for the Lord, but they got into some serious financial dealings that were just wrong. And he that spared the rod, hid the child. But he that chastened him many times, love him. Many people were aware of what had happened. I was not aware. But when I got to be aware, people thought that I was aware, but I did not discipline them because I was fond of them. So I had to call my pastors. People that I expended life of ministry over, pray, fast over. I had to set them like this and punish them before everybody. It was a bad experience. I went home and I was crying. But a man got to do what a man got to do. 
a few days ago, one of my sons was who pastors in Lagos. Did something very bad to his wife, and the wife left home. Who is also a minister of the gospel in our own right, and I was informed over that night I could not sleep for the first time. You know, I've always corrected this man behind the wife. I don't talk to the man straight when the wife is present. But on this occasion, I put them on the phone, video, and I finished the man. I said, who do you think you are? What anointing do you have? Vegetable oil anointing? What do you think you have that you cannot lose? If you keep conducting yourself the right way. The wife said, uh-huh. the wife has never seen me talk like that. She has never. After I finished it, I could not sleep. I was praying for him. Now, I did something I didn't want to do. In my own loving father's heart. I didn't want to talk like that to him. But if I don't do that, the man will not learn. The next day, you know the Bible says it in Psalm 19 verse 71, it is good for me to have been afflicted. That I may learn. Psalm 119 verse 67. He said before I was afflicted, I went astray. Some people need to learn obedience by something. You are going to have to suspend some people from a position before they can understand. When you suspend them, it's painful. But at the end, Paul said it in one place. He said, I wrote that letter to you and I said things I shouldn't have said to you. He said, but after I've said that, I was happy. He said, first of all, the letter made you sorrowful. But it was a sorrow after a godly pattern. There are some things you are, going to, you are going to have to punish people whether you like it or not. Any person who is not punished is not a child. No parent will raise a child without discipline. You correct them, you instruct them, but if they will not take it, you discipline them. Not chastening is good. It's painful to go through that experience, but you are going to have to do something you don't like to do. You are going to have to look at somebody in the face and say, listen, you are not going to serve today. Choir master, you are going to have to look at somebody and say, look, you have been singing flat for too long. Go for another department. Though you are friends, but the work of God must not get destroyed. Let me tell you, I went to this church. There was a cup. I know you don't make that mistake here. A cup on the table and I wanted to drink water. So I opened the water and I was going to pour it. The usher said, wait. I lifted the cup, looked at it like this, and then, and put it down for me to drink. I didn't say anything. At the end, I told the pastor, I said, can I see the head of the usher? Then I called the usher. I said, listen, usher, this girl did this, this, this. He said, ah. he said again? Again? I said, if you like her, don't just say again and again. Suspend her. That's a disgrace. Blowing into a cup. So I asked her, why are you blowing? He said, this cup has been there for three weeks. That is the fault of the person who blew into it and the fault of the usher who did not refresh or change it. So I told the pastor, suspend the head usher. I said, daddy. I said, this one has more... The next time somebody will, an, an animal or insect will urinate. You know what, Gecko? 
if what gecko you relate into a cup and you drink it with water, you are dead. People have been killed from that. So I told the pastor, I said, what you have played with today, it could kill a pastor on your neck. He said, but daddy, I don't like to... She's a good woman. I said, you don't understand. So I called you, I said, on behalf of the pastor, I suspend you. He could not prevail over the feelings he had. This is God's work. Don't spoil the work now. You want to kill a pastor? So I asked the pastor, I said, do you drink from the cup? He said, no, my cup is in the office. I said, it is us who come to your church. You want us to die. Why you don't feel like doing it? Do it. You are going to do something you don't like. At times, I don't feel like preaching. I went to a particular place, and I did not feel like preaching. But do I have to preach? Oh, yes. Why do you come here? God said, you go to the place I command you, and the word I give you. God already gave me the word, so why will I not? But I preached, but I didn't like it, but I still did. I had to prevail. At times, my wife will come to me and ask for something. I don't feel like it. When Rachel or Rebecca told, I mean, was it Rebecca? Uh, Sarah told Abraham to send away Haggai, the house girl's son. Do you know that Abraham did not want to do it? Read it in Genesis 16. It was a collusion between Sarah and Abraham so that he can have sex with the house girl, so that he can have a child. When the child was born, and now Hagar began to misbehave to Sarah, Sarah says, send away the born woman and her son. He told Abraham. Abraham did not want to do it. But you know what God told him? He said, what Sarah said is right. Send the woman away. At times, some of us hold on to friendships that are not necessary. I know a pastor, a redeemer, who lost everything. Marriage, ministry on the altar of not wanting to do something he did not like today he's no longer in the ministry the wife is no longer with him he was advised this is what the bible says do this this is what god's word says do this see i don't like to do it she has been my faithful secretary for 12 years when he did not do it he got into trouble today he has lost his marriage lost his finance lost his ministry the last time i saw him he had no car when i saw him the first time he had four cars you need to prevail over such feelings or not wanting to discipline someone who has run foul of what the procedure and the, the, the instructions are you have to prevail over your feelings. I had to sack somebody some years ago. Like that. Whenever I see the person, my heart will make guru, guru, guru. Papa. That's a witchcraft spirit. Why will an employee be terrorizing the employer? Something is wrong. Whenever I see her and him, my mind went guru, guru, guru. Ah, ah. This man, you are oppressing me. 
So I called her. I said, I said, in this place of work, I am the final authority. Anybody I'm afraid of will have to go. He said, but daddy, what daddy? I said, I don't know. But whenever I see my heart, make you get to get to get to get. You come, you're pressing me. I learned that from Kenneth Copeland. Kenneth Copeland said, if I employ you, and every time I see you, I cannot even talk to you, I'm scared of you, I fire you. I fire the guy. Complete fire. Did you have any remorse about it? No. God says, let him go. Let him go. Just like he told uh, Abraham, let Haggai, let Haggai and her son go. And he did that. So the work of God will put you in a position where we are going to do some things you like to and some things you don't like. There are some pastors who don't like taking the offering. Whenever you see a pastor who does not want to take the offering, it's because he does not give. In our church, if you take offering, the first thing the usher or the treasury department will do, they will go and look for you how much you two gave. If you do not give good offering, you will not climb that with again to take offering. Don't kill the church. <laughs> but some, don't, some people don't like leading prayer. You are going to have to fast whether you like it or not. That's what your position calls for. Some people don't want to fast. So, the work of God puts you in a position where you are going to have to do some things you like to do, but you are also going to do some things you don't like. I never used to like fasting. The first time I fasted, it was 2 o'clock in the afternoon. I thought it was 9 p.m. at night. I, did, I was just looking at the work clock like this. Throughout the day. How many of you don't like fasting? Sincerely, raise up your hand. You, uh-huh. you don't like you see what you don't like what i don't like i don't like some people fast one man said he fasted for 21 days i said 21 how did you cope but me i don't like fasting but i have to fast i fasted six months in a row before for almost 10 to 15 years i was fasting four days a week I didn't like it, but it is needful. Jesus did not say, if you fast. He said, when ye fast. How can you proclaim 30 days of fasting? And you too, you, you, you are eating behind. God punish you. <laughs> you know, because some people are like that. They will take offering, they will not give. They will call a fast, they will not fast. They will break by two. See, I broke my fast. I always said, that is your fast, not the fast of God. If it's your fast, you can break by 8. That's why they call it breakfast. 8 a.m. Is that not a break for your fast? Number 5. I'm almost there now. Number 5 now. The work of God will put you in a position not only where God will be for you, God will be with you, but will also put you in a position where Satan will be after you. Let me say this to you. And please listen to me, every one of you. Satan is after you. The way some Christian workers live is like they are not on the devil's radar. Know this from today. Immediately the devil heard God describing David. Acts 13.22 1 Samuel uh, 13, 14 as a man after his heart the devil went after him 
until a day that David went to the top of his house. Not he's been living there for a while, and he saw a UFO, unclad female object. The devil have been after him. Let me say this to you because some Christians behave. Some young girls don't know the devil is after them. You see that your zeal, the devil wants to kill it. So he give you a husband that will be a ministry. Some wives have husband and their ministry is the husband. I was in a church service. A woman was sitting down there with her husband. The man said, would you during the service? And the woman get hold of the jaw. And the man was like, hey, hey. And after a while, the head is moving again. The woman will get to another. Now, <laughs> throughout the service, the woman did not listen to one word. It was the husband had become a ministry because he had eyes full of looking for who to devour. Satan is after you, if you don't know. Peter was the only person among the apostles when Christ said, Who do men say, I, the son of Am, am? See, some said you are Elijah. Some say you are this. Some say you are that. He said, but who do you say I am? Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said to Peter, flesh and blood have not revealed this unto you, but the spirit of my father who is in heaven. And you are Peter. And upon this rock, I will be my church. From that day, the devil started following Peter around. When Jesus was about to go to the cross, one of the things that Jesus said to Peter in Luke 22, 31, he said, Simon, Simon, Satan has desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. He said, but I have prayed for you that your faith fail not. That he said, but when you are converted, strengthen the brethren. Now let me ask you, did Peter's faith fail or not? It was a little girl. The devil was after me. You said you know the Christ is the son of the living God. You will unsay it. So when they captured Jesus and they took him to a particular place, he stood there. A little girl saw him and said, you're one of them. He said, no, uh, I'm not. Uh, uh. The same person who said you are the Christ. And then another person came and said, ah, look, you look like him. He said, ah, no, no, no. I don't know the man. Look at that. And then the third one came and said, you are one of them by all means. He said, no, then he began to curse. He began to curse. He began to curse. He repudiated with his mouth an earlier confession he made. The devil is after you. Look at your neighbor and say, the devil is after you. Oh, you think it's only the pastor the devil is after? He wants to kill. He wants to steal. He wants to destroy. The Bible says, your adversary going up and down, seeking whom he did devour. He said, whom Resist steadfastly. You cannot prevail up above a force you don't know exists. I know this devil is after me. Oh, you think I don't know? And he will use anything. Anything he can find. Any loophole. That's why Ephesians 4 27 says, Neither give place to the devil. Matthew 5 39 says, Resist evil. Romans 12. I know big bishops in Nigeria who killed their wife. But it was covered up. 
Small argument. So the wife entered into the bathroom. Where the, you know, the bath is, the, the bowl bath. And he was still arguing with the man. The man said, I will deal with you. He said, come and deal with me. Come, come, come and deal with me. And the man went towards her. And the woman staggered back and fell. And her head hit the edge of the bath. And her skull split open. And she died bleeding. She bled to death. She bled to death. What happened? The devil has been after the man. Imagine how that will have read on the faces of newspapers. So the devil is after you. If you are a lord, he is there. You see, the devil is not omnipresent, but he has demons that he has assigned over you. And they will follow you. They followed Peter until Peter said, I don't know the man. The man, if Elias said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Even when Jesus Christ said, Satan wants you that he may shift you as wheat. He said, I pray for you. Not even the prayer of Jesus prevented Peter from, from falling. First Corinthians 10 12. He that thinketh he standeth, take it lest he falls. The road is more slippery than you think. You must be prepared. Because the devil is going to come in various forms. He's going to use anybody. I know a pastor in England who killed the child without intending to. The child was just, you know, knocking on him and said, Daddy, come on. He said, No, leave me alone. Daddy, come on. And he jumped on the man. And the man just, the child went, the fireplace hit his head. Boom! And the man killed the son. Who caused that to be? That's why you need to be circumspect. Watch out for the thief that has been watching out for you. He wants to soil your testimony. He wants to destroy what you have built. He wants to bring to naught. There is a man who killed the wife here. The man came here to the U.S. so many years ago. He did well. He got married to this American woman. They had about four children. They were doing very well. Then the man started looking for what was not lost. You know, if you have time, that's when you go on vacation. And because you have money to spend. Those who don't have money to spend, do they go, what do they vacate from? So he went to England. In England, he saw a girl. He loved the girl, you know. And then he said, okay, and brought the girl here to the U.S. To his house. And introduced the girl to the American wife as my sister from Africa. So they put her in the basement. And so the wife will go to work. The man will also go to work. But on this particular day, their first daughter, who was a little bit old, was sick and did not go to school. But the man had forgotten. So the man stayed back home and went to see the African sister that was in the basement. The girl woke up by 12. She was supposed to take some medication. She couldn't locate the father. So he started asking for, he started looking for the auntie from Africa who probably will know where the medication is. That was how he entered into, she went to the prison and saw the father and the sister from Africa doing some kind of things that they should not be doing. And the girl ran out of the room and, like a shot. For some reason they forgot. 
and say, I will tell mommy, I will tell mommy. The father begged the child, I will give you chocolate, I will give you this, I will buy you uh, uh, talkie talkie, whatever. I will. The guy said, No. Immediately the mother came, she ran like a shot out of the house, went to the man and said, Mommy, this is what happened, this is what happened. The woman did not say anything, she just went to the room, brought out a gun, and shot the woman to death. He said, I've been learning to shoot for six, six months. Shot the woman to death. The case went to the court. Immigration, everything. They revoked the man's uh, green card. Back to Nigeria. And the man was trying to make a living in a learning. One day, we're about to end the service like this. And the Holy Spirit says, I want you to worship me. With the work of God, you are going to have to do something you like to do and something you don't like to do. So I said, okay, let's do that. So we stood up. And we're worshiping God. And then the voice of the Lord came and said, There's someone here who had made up his mind today to commit suicide. Step forward. This man stepped forward with a bag and with a rope inside. The man had made up his mind when he woke up in the morning and things had not been working well to commit suicide that day. He had gone to pick a place under the tree. So he came to church to sanctify whatever he was going to do. But the Spirit of God caught up with him that day. So he said, why did you? Then he told me this story that I'm telling you now. That this was how he got into trouble. So we led him to Christ. We prayed over him. We encouraged him. We put him on staff row. We started paying him. Because he had no source of livelihood. We put him on staff row. We started paying him. I'm telling you things from my experience. When it comes to overcoming. This man eventually, you know, began to Peeled up his Christian life. He started growing. He, things were working well for him. We allowed him to go and work if he had work to do. If he does not have work, we kept him on pay. Supported him. You know, everything. He began to trust in Jesus. One day I asked him, will you want to go back to the U.S.? He said, no. Except the Lord wants me to go back. Now he had made Jesus Christ not just his Savior, but his Lord. The person with whom he clears everything and all things he wants to do. To cut the long story short, after about four years from that day, this man received some visitors from the American embassy who came looking for him and said the wife had filed a petition. She cannot cope with the children. Everything is upside down. Her emotion is this. She has mental health issues. So she wants the man back. They came and told me. So I invited the man. I sat him down. I said, would you like to go back? He said, no. He said, I don't want to go back. He said, the connection I have with God is the most important thing to me. And that's what I'm going to hold on to. I said, well, God is a restorer. He said, I will restore to you the years with the locusts. I said, he said, but look at all I have gone through. I said, but you started it. You were looking for what was not lost. He started fishing in troubled waters. Look at your neighbor and say, the devil is after you. Impossible the devil can kill you with a broken toenail. I tell some sisters, very fresh, very hardworking, very faithful. The devil is after you. That's your zeal. He wants to quench it. Your faithfulness. I've seen it happen even with housewives. Completely messed up. I've seen it happen to high and mighty. Many times you don't understand this. In as much as God is for you, God is with you. God is working through you. Know this, that you are on the devil's radar, except you are not doing anything of significance in the kingdom of God. 
The devil caught up with David. Caught up with Samson. Samson with all his strength. Caught up with Solomon. Solomon? Who was a child of adultery? Could fall into the same pit? He that take his standing. Let me say this to you. If you have seen a pattern in your family, it's something to watch out for. If your father had multiple wives, you have one wife now, watch your back. The devil wants to smuggle somebody through the window. Solomon, because of his big, voracious sexual appetite, had 300 wives. Now, what was he doing with 300 wives? In 365 days. We made some wives who had to turn the queue will be next year. But apart from that, he now had 700 concubines. What was he doing with them? I told my wife, I said, even you, you are too much. I want half, just half. He said, even you, it's one quarter I want. Your wife is too much. <laughs> People don't watch out. You see, the point is that we don't watch out for these things. You are in what? Oh, you are in ministry, you know? <laughs> a little leaven left that the whole lot. So we pray with the man, we counsel with him, eventually return. The man pastors the church now with that same wife. Now imagine you now with your hairstyle walking like this in front of him. When I saw him the last time, I said, How are you? He said, I'm doing great. I said, you? He said I'm looking on to Jesus. <laughs> I said, what about, I have seen everything turn around. I said, no, no, Jesus, the author, only one thing. <laughs> now we laughed about it, but it's for you to be conscious of the fact. How are the mighty falling? And the weapons of war perish. Just like God is for you, God is with you, you can boast about that. The devil is permanently. He has issued a, a warrant for your life, your future, and your destiny. He wants to kill. He wants to steal. He wants to destroy. He wants to destroy your home. He wants to destroy your children. He wants to destroy your health. He wants you sick. That is why you say, I cannot but eat. What can't you but eat? I was telling somebody, I found it difficult to change my diet. When the doctors come in, they say, sir, we want you to live longer. You are a blessing. But if you keep eating what you are eating, you die before your time. So I started reading the Bible. You know, they started making me to eat grass like Nebuchadnezzar. You know, eat grass, eat this, eat vegetable, eat tomato, eat raw tomato, eat raw tomato, eat uh, broccoli, eat uh, spinach, eat. I said, since the last human being, Nebuchadnezzar, ate grasses, I didn't know I was going to end up eating grasses. I was reading the Bible one day and God said to me, except Genesis 2, 16, and God said to man, of every tree that is in the garden, you eat. What is tree? Vegetable. So after they eating trees, <laughs> mushroom, cabbage, that's what I eat most of the time. I had fruits, but the swallow has to go up by the side. But I have to reduce the prominence. In those days, I used to drink five alive. It was taking away my life gradually. So the devil has a warrant out there. Number six. Is it number six now? 
the work of God will put you in a position where you are going to be exp- where, where you are going to receive great gifts. The work of God will put you where you are going to receive great gifts. Great gifts. Whenever I tell people, I say in my house, I have about 15 different cars. Of all the 15 of them, I bought only three. The remaining were gifts. Given to me at various times by various people. But you see, in as much as being involved in the work of God will make you receive great gifts, the work of God will also call you to make great sacrifices. What does sacrifice mean? It means to give up something because of the sake of another thing. I have had to give up some things because of ministry. I love, you see, I'm a house person. I don't go about all the time. One thing the work of God, the call of God upon my life did was to make me sacrifice my loving to be in the house. I always tell people this, 10 months out of 12 in a year, I'm outside my family. I came here, March, leaving, end of May, still going to ministry in Europe, June, July, coming back, August, leaving first week of December. I'll be back. Now, where have my wife been? I've not seen my wife like this since December 8th. That's a sacrifice I'm making. I put my body on that. You think body, no wood? No be wood, though. Even at my age, my body they can't be. But you know they talk self. <laughs> but I make sacrifice. I have to put you see, that's why I tell people when they say I'm a minister like you, you don't know who I am. The work of God will call to make sacrifices. I was telling people from twenty twenty till twenty from twenty twenty till twenty twenty two. I didn't see my wife like this. So what's how now? I have a scripture for it. First Corinthians 7.29. The time is coming when them who are married will be like they're not married. Read it. But some of us are not. You see, when you are doing God's work, you don't want to make sacrifices. You want to eat your cake and have it? No, it's not going to be possible. The work of God costs us. Certain times you won't be able to sleep. Certain times you'll not eat. Certain times you'll not rest. Sacrifices. Hebrews 13, 16. To do good and to communicate, forget not. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. The word of God, you receive gifts. They give you shoes. Give you houses. Oh yeah. Give you land. Give you opportunity. Give you openings. Open doors to you. But you are going to make sacrifices. If you don't want to make sacrifice, you will not have an excellent ministry. Sacrifice is the emblem of Christianity. Walk in love. Ephesians 5.2 Even as Christ loved us and gave himself an offering and a sacrifice of a sweet smelling servant to God. Philippians 4, it is a sacrifice acceptable, well pleasing in the sight of the Lord. 
David said in 2 Samuel 24, 24, I have never given God something that cost me nothing. You need to develop capacity to sacrifice. Some people don't want to be inconvenient. Listen, there's nobody who cannot give excuses. That we chose not to give excuses is not enough reason. You are working. Are you not working? Are you not working? Are you not working? Out of our own work, we made sacrifice to be here this morning. Someone is using that as an excuse. Why do you not expect God to recompense these people working? And you who, God will, you see, you work very hard. It's good. But the blessing of God will not be on it. And except the Lord build the house, the labor in vain that build it. Except God bless the works of your hand, you will never amount to anything. Paul plant, Apollo water, God gave the increase. It is God's involvement that multiplied the blessing. Proverbs 10, 22, the blessing of the Lord make it rich and added no sorrow. You can labor like an elephant and end up eating like an ant. The wolf of God will put you in a position where you are going to make sacrifices. You are going to have to wake up early than usual. You are going to work more than usual. The work of God is daily. It's not, seven, it's not five days a week. It's not nine to five. The work of God is 24 hours. You are permanently on duty for the kingdom of God. Sacrifice. I was telling somebody, I said, if you are looking for trouble, you cannot find it. Let God call you. You will find trouble. Oh, yeah. So it's important for us to realize this. You see, the reason why I'm pointing this out to you is for you to understand where we are. If you are going to prevail, you must know what you are confronted with. I told you Satan is after you now. I hope some of you now, you are not going to bring out your antenna. If somebody is greeting me, I always say, God, why is this person greeting me? Oh, what? The Bible says, surely we delivered from the snare of the fowler. Psalm 91 verse 3. And from the noisome pestilence. The devil wants a toehold in your life. If you can get a toehold, you have a foothold. If you can get a foothold, then you bring a stronghold. You're going to receive gifts. Listen. Matthew 10, 8 says, freely, freely you have received, freely, freely give. You must be ready to give as much as you receive. Don't be a consumer without being a producer. Any country where its populace are always consuming without producing will soon become a shipwreck of a country. Stop taking out of the church if you are not putting anything into the church. The church is not just a place to come and receive blessing. The church is also a place to come and put add value to what is being done here. You need to add your own contribution. We always want to draw out what have you put in to draw from. Number six. Now number seven, I can go on and on and on and tell you about people who made sacrifice. People made sacrifice. Abraham made sacrifice. If at 75 you are asked to relocate, will you relocate? 75. The man had tried all his life to have a child. He had tried to have a successful business. His business failed. He had no child. Then a voice said, come to a land that I will show you. Uh-uh. He said, leave me the way I am. 
most old people do not want to relocate young people are full of adventure because they know the future is before them old people their past is the largest part of their lives they don't want to start all over you make sacrifice abraham had to leave a place to go to the place where god had in mind for him you are going to make sacrifice in god's work if you are not interested in making sacrifice you won't get far i have come this far by making sacrifices and you'll go very far if you make sacrifices i can go on and on but let's deal with number seven which is the crown thing and i will try and massacre it as soon as i want the work of god also listen to this we put you in a position where you are going to have to fight i dealt with that yesterday the work of god will put you where you are going to fight i fought my chief security officer recently i fought him i fight my protocol officer when i say five which means 4 30. they come 505 i said mm-hmm. go back home you can't work here i fought my camera people instead of focusing on me they record the ceiling now what's wrong with the ceiling you are recording if you don't know how to do this work go and learn it now i might even know what i'm talking about at times i fight my choir they'll be singing on some keys because some of the songs they sing i've also listened to it on youtube i said mm, the song you sang today is not why youtube or have you developed your own <laughs> i've disbanded the choir at times ah, they are singing the same song like parrot I said, what's wrong with you it was in the days of Fred Hammond when it was Anki Franklin, they were the big people there. Sing the same. Are you ready for your miracle? I said, listen, 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 listen. There's no room for nonsense here. Or you are singing in a church that's supposed to be multicultural. You are singing. Ra what? Ra out. Out of fire, HOD. Because they are always singing vernacular songs. We have Igbo in our church. We have houses in our church. We have people from Congo in the, in the lorry. And here, Rababa, 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 That's why I still like you a little. I've not been there in some praise worship time. But if you notice me when you sing vernacular, I said, the church, any church must be able to speak the gospel in the language understood by most people. Not just a few African African dance. We must preach the gospel to them in their language. We need to fight. Fought my wife, fought my children. Some years ago, I bought phone for them. I was loaded with credit. They were not sending me texts. I said, Give me the phone. Give me the phone. I empower you. You are not even communicating. Why am I, what did I buy for, for you? And put credit on it every month. Give me the phone. Ah, go and buy it. When you buy your phone and put credit, you can do whatever you want. Oh yeah, I fight my sons in ministry. You have not asked after me. Why? Is something wrong with you? Now, you see, the work of God is a work where you seek peace. But it's a work where you fight people too. If they are going to spoil the work. Like I quoted yesterday, Psalm 120 verse 7, I'm a man of peace. But when I speak, 
they have a war. You need to fight your body. At times your body feels insulted. <laughs> Look at the way the pastor just finished me. He, this young boy. Hmm. He doesn't even respect age. Look, if age is the only thing that you have, then go to the, to the old people's home and stay there. In the scheme of things, Moses was the youngest of three children. Raised up by their parents. The firstborn was Aaron. The secondborn was Miriam. The thirdborn was Moses. But it was Moses that God chose to lead the children of Israel. And the last shall be made first. Age is not everything. You are proud of it. If somebody, the only thing he's proud of is age, then he has nothing to be proud of. So fighting is, I'm a man of peace. When things are not off, I will follow peace with you. But once you begin to tread on dangerous ground, I'll fight you. I fight protocol officers. One of them was interviewing me from the airport to the place where I was taking me. Is this your first time of coming to America? No. When did you call the, this protocol officer? When did you come to America for the first time? 1990. Ah, I was not here then. I said, probably you are not even born. Yeah, I was born, but I was still wet in my bed then. I said, okay. As we are going, do you like Atlanta? Ah, oh God, leave me alone now, Abby. Am I, did, that, did they tell me that the journalist was going to come and take me from the airport? What I'm saying is this. You are a man of peace, but in the work of God, yes, seek peace, but if there is no peace, then there is war. Number eight, I think that's the last one now, and I'll just amplify that one a little, and this is so important that I put it to this point. The work of God will put you in a position where you are going to do some simple things. Simple, simple things. But it will also put you in a position where you are going to be faced with difficult tasks and you are going to be asked to do dangerous assignments and where you are going to be asked to do tough things. Difficult tasks, dangerous assignment, and tough things. One thing many people do, and this is what I want to amplify here, is that many people who are walking in the vineyard of the Lord always try to avoid difficult tasks. They try to avoid dangerous assignment. They try to avoid these kind of things that are going to be tough. David challenged Goliath. Many people will just be looking at Goliath and never challenge him. Caleb told Joshua, give me the mountain. Joshua 14. God told the children of Israel, go up and take the land at once. Let me say this to you. While some assignments, when it comes to God's work, will be simple, ordinary, basic, there are some assignments that will be tough. And one thing I have discovered is that many, many people who are working in God's vineyard are not daring as they should be. And that is why we have not conquered many territories that we are capable of conquering. That is why we have not become the church that God wants us to be. We need as a church to be more aggressive than we are. Listen to me. 
Next, Nikos. I don't want to see that space at the back without chairs or human beings. Because you can put chairs and no human beings will be sitting on them. Next one. If, listen, listen, listen. If you're a leader here and I come next Nikos and the place is not filled with chairs and there are no human beings there, we'll see each other downstairs. I'll bring something called Bulala from Nigeria. Haba. The Bible says in Genesis 26, 22, it said, now the Lord has made room for us. We shall what? Be fruitful. To be fruitful means to fill it with fruit. God will not give us a building of this nature with space at the back. Who, who is supposed to be there? Who is supposed to be at the back? It's for us. God gave us this room. Our own responsibility to do what? Fill it up. Tap your neighbor and say, bring one person at least. Not only bring one person, bring one worker. All of you should make a worker between now and next year. That's 12 months. Recruit somebody. There are seven things every worker needs to do. Number one, you need to be the worker. Number two, identify other workers. Number three, recruit other workers. Number four, pray to God to send more workers. Number five, help workers. You may need to carry them from their home. You may need to give them taxi fare. Number six, repair workers that are falling by the roadside. There are some people who used to be workers who are not here anymore. Repair them. Let me say this to you. The kind of people that determine the wealth of a nation are the working crowd, the working population. You are the working population. This church can only go as far as your performance. If you don't do more than what you are doing now, we'll be on the same spot. But if we challenge ourselves and motivate ourselves and make decisions and set goals for us to conquer the territory God has given us, let's fill this place up. Let's have multiple services, two services, three services. Who say we cannot? Yes, we can. Can I hear someone echo that? Say, yes, I will. Oh, we need a willing hands, not able hands. Nobody has the ability to do God's work. It is availability we have. And God is the one who is going to provide the ability. So please, let's note that. And then number seven, train workers. Train workers. Train them in protocol, train them in ocean, train them in follow-up, train them in welcoming, train them in visitation. All these areas are areas of trading. We need a, do you have a drama ministry here? Something that looks like it. Do you have a choreographic group? From Bethel, raise up 10 young girls and boys. Let them tantalize with choreography. Do you know the choreographic team in our church in the Lord receive more invitation in Lord than I do? They are not a church to anybody. And it was a 12 year old boy that came and said, Daddy, can we start? I'd never had the word choreography when he told me. Say, can we start choreography? Say, choreo what? Say, choreography. Do you know that those people on Saturday they will go and distribute leaflets? They'll be dancing on the street with music. People will come, they will bring them to church the next Sunday. It was exciting for me to pastor. Those people made pastoring easy. Many people, you don't want difficult assignments. You don't want the mountains. But you know, the mountain is where the giants live. 
And if you conquer it, you'll be able to eat what giants eat. And you become giant yourself. Let's set higher goals than we have ever set. Let's set higher goals. We can, we can have more, more, more chairs here. And we can bring people here. The Bible says, God wants his house, how? Fool. Read that in Luke 14. He sent out the servant, they went and they came back. They said, we have brought them, but there is still room. He said, go to the highways and the edges. Compel them to come in that my house may be what? Fool. God wants a filled house. God wants our cup filled. We should do what we can to make sure this house is filled. I came to this church for the first time, first year anniversary. Thereabout. Was it first year? Were you after first year? You know, and they called themselves Victory House. He was reminding me. So I look at the place and said, What victory is here? The whole place was look ram shackle. He said, When I said that thing, that he hit him. Booga! See what he said? Huh. We'll do next. We'll do something better. And the next time when I came, I saw that victory has already started. Now you are going from victory to victory. It's now victory to victory. You are the you are not there then. How many of you are there then? You see how few you are. Hey, raise it properly. Raise it properly. So you know those who just joined us. God bless you. So you see, you are not there when it happened. What will your own time do for us? want to fill that. When I came in yesterday, my heart felt because I know what I see in this young man. I know the grace that he can. When he was praying yesterday, I told him, after Abi, I said, that was good. This 42 years of ministry talking now. To an old I said, that was good. I said, that was good. That was powerful. Did that not tell you? Oh, yeah. I, I felt the anointing. I was the one putting my hands on him. He was the one anointing me. I saw that. And let you to have the grace there. God brought you here with your graces. Let us employ them. I didn't know when I stood up, Jerry. Let, return to the rest of my soul. I want to... The people avoid difficult things. Now let me give you several reasons why people do that. I always have many reasons. This class today, it's for you. Because I have a feeling by spirit, God is about to put you on a new scale. When we dedicate this building tomorrow, it will be a fresh start. It is not going to be old wine in old sheepskin. It will be new wine in new sheepskin. Can I hear somebody say amen? Why do people resist tough assignments? Number one, human nature calls for it. Human nature always seeks things of less resistance human nature always wants to do things that are not difficult a woman wants a man that she's not going to work on she wants a finished product and a man wants a wife they will not work on people want courtship that is brief Human nature always resists tough things. They don't want tough things. You cook your beef, it's not tough. So when you put it like this, just use your tongue to 
to break it. But me, somebody saw me eating recently. Say, why is your meat tough? I said, because I'm tough. I want something I can work on, something I can chew. My wife will always cook the soup she eats after she has served me my own soup. He said, I don't understand why you have. I said, you can see now my teeth are standing. Your own is shaking. Because I don't use to talk things. One day she tried to crack a chicken bone. In Kako, half of the teeth was gone. I said, you see now. Human nature calls for it. We seek for things of less resistance. Number two, why do people resist tough things? Because of what others have said about it. There are three parts to that question. Because of what others have said about it, about those tough things. If you marry a wife that is not completely made, it's going to be tough. What others have said about it. Also, another point number two, because of what others are around them. Because what others around them have said about handling tough things. And lastly, because what they have seen happen to others who took on great assignments, tough assignments. Others tell you, ah, if you do this, it's going to be difficult. If you, if you, if you inherit the mountain that Joshua gave Caleb, it's going to be tough for you to conquer what others say about it. What you have, what you have heard others say about it and what you have seen happen to other people. That is why people want, don't want tough assignments. I don't want to pastor. So people say, I don't want to pastor in that part of the city because it's tough. I don't want to stay in Ilorni, it's the backside of the desert. I don't want to stay in that part of the city. There is this there, there is that there. The one who will eat the honey out of the rock will not be afraid of the mouth of the axe. So that is the second reason why people don't want to take off a servant. Because of what others have said. Number three. The third reason why people don't want to take off a servant is because of how those things look on the surface. Goliath was 13 feet. Seven inches tall. That is a man mountain. How does it look? looks frightening how does it look to head choir hey how many of you know that choir is one of the most difficult people to place it to head or shall oh if you are in charge of te- temple cleaning you get people who want to clean because everybody clean in your house but not everybody sing at home in choir you come for more rehearsals than any other person how the thing looks. If you look on things according to outward appearance, they will terrorize you. And that's why people don't love tough assignments. Do you know one of the professions among the ministries that people don't like most? Pastor. A pastor must preach a new message every Sunday. Or his members will be tired. And then if you're a pastor, you do midweek, you build prayer meeting, you must do three new messages every week. Do you know that was what I used to do? Most of the messages are now preached. That was when I prepared to preach them. So that taking on a pastor was one of the greatest moments of my life. 
because the way it looks on the surface. Ah, being a pastor's wife, I know a woman who is still fighting the husband today. You are not going to pastor that church, oh. Mama Yad, I will not become Mama Yad. You are not going to pastor that church, oh. She says, being a pastor's wife is tough. So women don't want to be minister's wife. Sincerely. And you know why? Those people who don't want it, those are the people that God gave it to. Ask, ask your pastors who are here. Did she want to? When you marry somebody, you marry everything. Asset and liability. <laughs> there are going to be good things, there are going to be bad things. But the way it looks on the surface, ah, I don't want it. Ah, it's tough, oh. You want me to be supervising the sister's fellowship? Hey! A woman in our church, we have to pursue her for two years before she decides to head the women's fellowship. I said, why? I said, women? Women? Hey! I said, why? I said, you said, you know I'm a woman. I said, okay. I said, but women? It's a serious problem. And like one pastor said in the girls, let's say, women's. <laughs> Okay, because of the way it looks on the surface. Number number three reason is it number four? Yes, number four reason why people don't want to take on tough assignments because we are considering only ourselves and the resources we have. You are not thinking about the grace of God. Second Corinthians three five. We are not sufficient of ourselves to think ourselves to be anything. Our sufficiency is of God. You are looking only at yourself. You are not looking at the grace of God. When God called me and said, I have called thee, I have chosen thee, I have ordained and anointed thee to take my word to the nations. I said, ah! Because taking the word to the nations is not being on TV. It's traveling. And when I thought about it, God said, my grace is sufficient for you and my strength is made perfect in your weaknesses. I told you recently, you know, we, we now discuss that issue. Anything that you are called to do, there is grace for it. There is grace to be an assistant. You know that? Some assistants are ambitious, but real assistants are not ambitious. I have a small book, Good and Bad Assistant. There are good assistants. There is a grace to be an assistant. The grace to assist other people, let their vision see the light of day and not compete with them, but complete them. When you look at your own energy, you say, Ah, I cannot. Of course, you cannot. Philippians 4 30 says, You can do all things through what? Not through your education or your background. If you are looking at your own ability, you cannot be a pastor's wife. You cannot be. You cannot be the deacon. Instead of being a deacon, you'll be a deacon. You cannot. So stop looking at your own ability. We are not sufficient of ourselves to think ourselves to be anything. Our sufficiency is of God who has made us what? Able. We are able because he made us. So people look only at their own capabilities and capacities. Number five, why is it that some people escape Tough assignment. Whenever you go to give that assignment, once it's tough, they try to dodge it. Number six is number six. 
Number five, because they do not want to take the risk of failure. People don't want to take the risk of failure. They don't want to fail. I know some people who don't want to marry. They said, what if it does not work? I said to them, what if it works? Some people don't want to start churches. They say, what if it does not work? I said, what if it works? Some people don't want to start businesses. They say, what if it does not work? I say, what if it works? So, people avoid this assignment because of the risk of failure. Not wanting to take the risk of failure is itself shutting out trying. And this keeps us from doing it. There are people here today that God have told you to do some things, but you are afraid you will fail. And because you are afraid you fail, you've done nothing about it. And that's the reason why you have evaded. You are afraid you will fail. You are afraid it will not work out. You are afraid you will not succeed. Not being willing to take risk is a risk itself. You stand the risk of losing out in terms of what God wants to do. I remember when I was going to get married, I went to a man for counsel. I said, Sir, I, I've seen someone I want to get married to. The man said, You want to get married? I said, Yes. He said, Hmm. He kept quiet for about two minutes. I said, Sir, I just told you that I. So you want to get married? I said, yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I said, what do you have to say? Hmm. He said, let me describe marriage to you. I said, okay, sir. He said, marriage is like a city under siege. Those who are inside want to come out. Those who are outside want to come in. <laughs> now, what was he saying? It's going to be tough. I said, but I want to. If you want to start business, some people will scare you from it. If you want to travel, I know people cannot travel by aircraft. I know footballers in Europe, when their teammates fly, they go by road. The reason why some people don't want to take, don't want to do this thing is because is because they don't want to bear the risk of failure. When I was going to get married, there's a probability you fail or you succeed. But today I have not failed. So I'm reaping the bath, I'm preaching the blessing. I'm not saying that there is no probability of failure. But with God's help, there is a higher probability of success. Number six, number six, is it? The sixth reason why people avoid hard difficult assignment is because that is the way they have lived their lives do you know some of you that's the way you have lived your life someone said to me he said anything that is harder than meat i've not tried it i've not eaten it that's the way you have lived your life jelenke that is the way you have lived your life generally any subject that is difficult you don't choose it any friendship that is Difficult to keep, you don't want it. Any place that's going to be difficult for you to get to, you don't try to get there. You know what you have done? You have just limited your life. You have reduced the probability of the successes you can have in life. That's the way you have lived your life. does not mean you cannot change. You have come into this church several times with that space at the back. It has never bothered you. It bothers me. 
I'm a kingdom person. God wants his house full. I'm someone who is raising a world changer. A world transformer. Not somebody who will be a local champion in, a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a West Park Road. This is West Park Road. Huh? Not a local champion. Say, we are trying to huh? keep quiet. He said, you know, I'm trying. Listen, you're not here to try. You're here to do what God wants you to do. God wants his house full. Tell the person, God wants his house full. If everybody who comes here tomorrow can bring one person in addition, within one year, that place will be full. Even second service will have started. We even go to the galleries. Do you think God gave us gallery to put instruments there? If we don't have, we'll put somewhere, we'll create something and put them somewhere. That's the way you have lived your life. Your life has been simply done. You have lived your house, Jelen Kelly. I don't want anything that is tough. You are now in a place that is tough. You are going to be given tough assignments. Do you think it's a small assignment to be removed from Israel and taken to Babylon? And then for those three children to be thrown into the fire? But you know that before promotion, there will be a test. There's a test for promotion. Nobody gets to the next class who have not passed this class. Number seven. The seven reasons why people try not to do great assignment, two things, is because not only because of the fear of pain. The fear of pain. Or the effect of the difficult assignment on them. Fear of pain. You don't want to stretch. You don't want to go through pain. How many of you know that no pain, no gain? You can never be fit without going to the gym. You know, some people will tell you lies. Hey, there's something you put on your stomach. You have six pack. Not only six, twelve pack. After. You will have the looks, but you don't have the strength. Aerobics is for strength training. You don't want to go through the pain. Any family or woman who does not go through pain cannot be called a mother. Anybody who does not go through pain cannot be called a father. Being a father involves some painful times. Not every children will turn out the same way. There are some children you are going to war with. I have three children. I, my, my, my daughter, only daughter, I warred with her. At the age of 13, my daughter fell in love. Why do they use the word fall when they talk about love? I don't understand. Why not stand in love? Oh, it was war. Only one daughter. I called her. I said, this boy you are with is not a human being. He said, what dad? He wears oversized shirts, oversized trousers. He brings to the waist two of them. And then he walks like a crab. I said, it's not a woman. He said, dad, I love him. I said, hey, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. One day my wife was crying and hitting herself on the floor. I said, you will die. Oh. Don't let anybody kill you. It was war. Now she has three lovely children. You know, wonderful husband, the chartered accountant, what you call CPA here, in three different countries. Whose heart is in the ministry? Who loves God? Do you think it was easy to get that kind of man out of the rock? It wasn't easy. 
And God knows, God is my witness. I didn't have a hand in it. It's the Lord's doing. But to make her into a befitting wife for that person, it's not easy. You see, pastor, there are some people you are going to rebuke sharply so that they can fulfill their destiny. Joseph was one person like that. He had a vision, but he was lazy. They made him a coat of many colors. The father spoiled him like last born. How many of you last borns are here? You are a spoiled brat. Not every one of you, I understand. But most last born, even if you just look at it, say, Daddy is looking at me. And I say, Stop looking at her. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah. You see, the point is that some people don't just want to. You are going to have to sharply walk on them, walk with them, walk, walk against them, pull them, sh- shake them. Many of our pastors who don't want to fast. The day they are fasting, I don't allow them to stay home. They have to come to my house by 6 a.m. And they have to be with me throughout the day. So no breaking with gari water. <laughs> or drinking gari behind me. I had to make them tough like that. Now they are on their own. They are doing excellently well. Many of you know Reverend Victor. He never liked to fast. The last time he told me, he said, was going on 21 days fast. I said, when did you change? Ah, he said, Baba, nobody will pass through you. <laughs> he says, like passing through the valley of the shadow of fire. He said, now fire. In those days, he must fast. He will come and be looking at me. Like I said, die if you want to die. <laughs> die if you want to die. Now the point is, that is discipline. It is discipline that makes disciples. In closing, a good minister closes five times. I now want to talk to you why you shouldn't avoid difficult things. Why should I not avoid difficult assignments? Why should I not? Number one, there is always a limitation put on the difficulty you are exposed to face because God knows exactly what you can endure or handle. Why should I not avoid it? Let me say this to you. If there is a difficult responsibility you are given to face, know this, that God will not allow you to be tempted above what you are able to bear. You see, so many years ago when I was writing this thing down, I asked God one reason. I said, what was the limit? He said, you know, there was only one Goliath. He said, what if every person in the army of the Philistines were Goliaths? He said, what would David have done? He said, so by only making David confront one Goliath, I put a limit on the difficulty that he had to deal with. There is no difficult assignment you are given that God will not put a limit on that assignment so that you can be able to bear it. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. There is no temptation that is taking you, but such as is common to man. God is faithful. Who will not allow you to be tempted about what you are able to bear? With every temptation, he makes a way of escape. So there was a limit to the difficulty. He only had to face one Goliath, not 400. If it had been 400, he will not need a catapult. He will need a machine gun. So no matter what difficulty you are faced with, just know that God has put a limit on it. 
Because he's the final judge. He has put a limit on it. Number two, why should I have, why shouldn't I avoid difficult or tough assignment? God has made available special grace for every difficulty that we meet. There's grace. There's grace to pastor difficult people. There is grace to lead a difficult church people. There is nothing, if you have a difficult wife, there is grace. Many of you hear about John Wesley. He had one of the most difficult wives to ever live with. Many of you heard about Joseph Babalola, the founder of CAC. He had one of the most difficult wives to ever live with. My wife is difficult. It's not an excuse. You are not difficult, are you? Everything has grace. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you. I lived in Lillory since 1973. You know what? When things were tough and rough, and I said, God, this land eaten up the inhabitants, God said, there's enough grace. I'm able to give you grace to live in that place. And he did. And he's doing. There's grace for everything. You live in a house where people are hostile, there is grace. You walk in a place where people are hostile, there is grace. There is nothing that there is not grace for. John 1, 16, and of his fullness have all we received, grace for grace. There is grace to stand up. You know, I went to a church one day, and the protocol man was standing, he just fell down. He fell down. So I said, what's wrong with him? So they took him out, and then they were ministering to him. They had to give him some juice. And put water on his head. So I went and I saw him. I said, what happened? So I just said, yeah. I told him, I said, listen to me. There is grace to stand like that. You are walking in God's house. There is grace to stand. All you need to do is shift from one leg to the other leg. You don't start with the same two legs. Take it like this. You stand on one a little bit more than the other one. Then you shift. Then you shift. Then you shift. Then you shift. There is grace for everything. No matter what you are going through, there is grace for it. If you feel that it's becoming more difficult than you plan, ask God for grace. God gives more grace to the humble. You know the humble says, I cannot do it. And then he gives them grace. Blessed are the poor in spirit. For they shall inherit the kingdom of God. The poor in spirit are people who say, I don't have it within me to be able to do what I need to do. So give me grace. There's grace to lead a church. There's grace to be an usher. There's grace to be in the choir. My daughter was in the choir all the days when she was home. When she was with us. Before she got married. And many times, they would have rehearsals Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, Sunday morning. And they would sing poorly. So one day I said, my dear, I said, the song you sang today, it remains small. He said, dad, if you know the practice we did, then I ask her, did you ask God to make the difference? Did you ask for the anointing of God to come and make the difference? You see, many times the horse is prepared against the day of battle. But victory still comes through grace. 
For by grace were you saved through faith. Your faith must be expressed in the grace of God for you to have that grace ready to minister. Before I came today, I prayed. I was in the I woke up very early. I did my quiet time. I prayed. I went over my notes, but I said, God, give me grace. And I can see God has given you grace to go through this ordeal with me. Some of you have never sat this long. But at work, don't you sit this long? Now, at work, you have grace. But when it comes to church, there's no grace. And it's in the church where you need grace more. You need to understand this fact. You must ask for grace for every situation. As a wife, the more your husband demands some things, say, God, give me grace to make him a happy person. As your husband, your wife says, this, 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 this. I have become everything to my wife. So that by all means, I may hold on to this imprisonment. This till death do you part imprisonment. Uh, you are not talking to me. God give me grace. Uh, when, I, when I dress, you don't comment. God give me grace to have eyes. You know, we don't even see many of the things our spouses do. How they look. And yes, is there. Say, ah, I remember when I asked for grace, I would look at her and say, I wouldn't say anything good. I said, You look good. <laughs> Faith called those things that be not. <laughs> you look young. Recently, you know, she's 60 something now. I said, How? Ah. I said, You look younger than when I saw you the first time. He said, No, 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 no. I said, I have grace now. It has come on my. <laughs> Abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. There's grace. That's what you see. Why you dodge is that you think you are the only one, and uh, but there is nothing you are going to have to face that there is no grace for. Number three, the reason why you should not escape tough things is that everyone whom you see succeeded overcame one thing or the other. Everyone you see, every church you see that is growing, they overcame something. Every minister that you see that is standing, every marriage that you see that is standing, every business that you see that is standing, have been able to go through a difficult period. And they are where they are today because of the grace of God. Everyone you see. All of us are where we are today by God's grace. There was a time they are going to demolish our church. It was grace that kept us. Everyone will have to go through a rough patch. It's only time and season that will be different. Businesses that you see today, there was a time when it was not easy. Whether it's Steve Jobs or Elon Musk, go and read about them. Go and learn their background. There was a time when they had nothing. They had to struggle to make ends meet. The story of a, the difference between a rich man and a, or a big shot and a small shot is that a big shot was a small shot who kept shooting. So that's why you should not escape tough things. Look, let me say this to you. There is no time in life when you don't have to face one battle or the other. So escaping battle here, another one is ahead. Number four. Is it number four now? And this is the key point of my message. The reason, the first reason why you should not escape difficult assignment is because it cannot be avoided. It cannot be avoided. If you avoid it this time, you meet it up again next time. It may not be in this area, 
It may be in another area. It can be avoided. Along the way of life. You meet it after a corner or another corner. The best way to avoid a difficult thing is not to avoid it. Write that down. Note it. The best way to avoid a difficult thing is not to avoid it. That's the best way. Face it and fix it. When I see some things today that are difficult, I say, I've, I've overcome you before. I have succeeded over something similar like this before. Listen, when David came against Goliath, what did he say? He said, I was keeping my father's sheep. And a lion came. And a bear came. He said, and I caught the lion by the beard. With hand. I smote it. And I killed it. He said, the same God who did that for me. Will help me to kill the Philistines. And that was exactly what he did. When you overcome a serious tough assignment. It's part of your testimony. It's something you can use again. In battle. In the days ahead when you come across other difficult things. I've told some church members who tried to give me problems. I said, I have met people like you before. Go and ask them where they are now. Some of them are dead. Some of them are alive. Some of them are university of animals. Some of them are backslid completely. I said, the same God <laughs> who made me overcome them, I will overcome you. We have read the last chapter of this engagement and I'm the one winning. At times of them, we just pack their Bible. And that will be the end we saw about them. They want to make trouble before they cannot. I say, the God who made me kill a lion. I say, you're not a lion. You're just an ordinary monkey. You're an ordinary gorilla. Who made, he killed a lion with his hands. Say, I killed a lion, I killed a bear. Say, that same God. Even though he said that to Saul, Saul said, may the Lord go ahead of you. You see, that's the point. He had a testimony. So when you overcome one, it's an indication that the next time you overcome, look at your neighbor and say, I see you an overcomer spirit. Say, I see you building up strength. I see you being able to do. I see you performing above your expectation. Tell the person hand in hand with you, we are going to the second level. Who we'll conquer the land. Who we'll fill Jerusalem with our doctrine. We'll have members from every house. They will come and walk in our light. And we'll not be ashamed. Two more points here. Every difficulty you overcome enables you or makes us better and stronger. Whatever challenge you face that does not kill you, does what? Make you stronger. In Japan, when I went to Japan for the first time, I saw something very strange. You know, in Japan, when uh, a pot or a glass or a cup breaks, they don't throw it away. They take it and mend it. They put glue and some other kind of things to mend the glass. Now, do you know that after they mend the glass that is broken, it's of greater value than when it was not broken. And it's usually stronger than when it was not broken. What was expected to kill you? If it doesn't, you will be a stronger person. How many of you know that? 
when you go through tough times. There is a small book, I don't know whether I've seen it before. Tough times never last. Tough people do. The book was written by a man known as Robert Shula. I went to his church in Garden Groove. It is the first church and the only church of its kind. It is built with glass. I still have the picture that I took. It's built with glass. All this glass, 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 glass. The floor everywhere, glass. So, the main sanctuary is built with glass. And then they now have buildings outside. Where you drive in with your car. You don't have to come down for your car. And then you are part of the service. It's the first of its kind. In Garden Groove. In California. When that man, when you read that man's storybook, I could send a copy of the book to pastor so that you can, anyone who wants to read it, he can send it to you. Tough times never last. But tough people do. What makes people tough are the things that they pass through in life. If you see some women who are tough, look, I have been in Italy, I have been in Spain, I have been in Denmark, and I see women who have gone through prostitution, who are now professionals. They are usually very tough. When you see them, even the look on their face shows somebody who has been battered by life and who has been a survivor. I went to a church. The secretary of the church is a prostitute. How do I know? One day we were having an urgent service, so everybody was. So she now came and told me, said, Dad, I need to go to work. I said, What kind of girl? He said, I'm a CSW commercial sex worker with certificate oh, yeah. she said to me said she was trying to convince me that prostitution was okay he said every girl is a prostitute he said i only have sex for money he said some people have sex for phone for land for money for houses he said here yeah, you go through medical test to continue as a prostitute the next year she was secretary of the church I've said, you see what I say? I've gone through stuff. Imagine the secretary of a church who's a prostitute trying to convince me. I said, So, what are you convincing me? He said, I wanted to let every girl know that we are doing it for money, but they are doing it for food, for McDonald's, for land. So, we, we are, he said, I cash out. He said, I don't buy things by credit card, I pay cash. I said, Eh? You learn everything every day. So <laughs> now, why am I saying this? Whatever you go through makes you. They don't mind you. You can carry scars, but your scars are marks of champions. Whatever you carry as a scar, it's a mark of champion. When I see people who have gone through domestic abuse, you see that they are very tough and wise. Because by what they go went through, they have learned a few things. Last point. And last means last. Why should I not avoid tough things? It will reduce your usefulness. It will reduce your usefulness when you avoid tough things. So deal with cowardice. It is not of God. It will reduce your usefulness. We can't send you to handle difficult assignments. Because you will avoid it. So there are certain things we want to do. That we cannot allow you to do. I've talked about principles. You see why you have this at the back of your mind. It helps you to be well prepared. To be an overcomer.
There will be challenges. The first place where we are going to build our church. I will give this testimony. And then we can spend some time praying. We went there. To buy this land. As a church we went there. We took our intercessors. We members of the church went there. And then we started walking all over the land. You know, Joshua 1 3 says. Wherever the source of your fish are touch. Is yours. So we are singing. We are able to go up and take the country. To possess the land from Jordan to the south. May the giants may be on our way to hinder. God will surely give us victory. Victory. Move on to the right outside. Move on. When we were walking like that, the villagers came out. With guns, with swords, with knife. And they stayed across us like this. We also stayed like this. We were holding each other's hand. They said to us, look up, down. We'll kill you here today. Those are part of the things that I went through in the Lord. They said, who told you that you can come here and be a Christian? They call you Scafiri. And you want to now buy land here. Who told you that? Was speaking in tongue. They arrayed themselves guns. Knives, cut girls, stones. They say, look up and down. We'll kill you today. You know, at that kind of a period, you need a leader who is tough. I was part of the leadership of this fellowship. Then, it was a fellowship. But I was not the leader. But I stepped forward. And I said, we are for peace. We have not come here in any name. They said, whatever you are here for, we will kill you here today. I told that people, I said, hold your hand. Let's go forward. So, they them with guns and everything. They started walking towards us. When they take one step, we take two. Towards them, we held our hands. Eyeball to eyeball. When we got very close to them, I was asking God, what's the strategy? He said, begin to pray in tongues. Now, when we started praying in tongues, I did not know that we were speaking in Arabic. And we were addressing those people. These people were learned Islamic scholars. We were not. We are just a bunch of believers, young boy with zeal, who wants to do their best for God. He wanted to buy a piece of land and build a church there. We started speaking in tongues. You know the kind of tongue you speak when you're about to die? When you're giving a moment. We started speaking in tongues. And then the leader said, he told him, he said, shut up, shut up. Can't you hear that they are speaking in Larubawa? In other words, Arabic. So can't you hear? We were speaking in tongues, but we didn't know we were speaking in Arabic. You know, the language of Saudi Arabia, Kuwait, you know, Bahrain, Oman, and all those places. We didn't know. But who has prayed in tongues? You know what we're doing? We are rebuking them in Arabic and saying to them, we have come here to help you. We are not your enemies. We are your friends. You'll be a better person if you submit yourself who are speaking this in tongues. But we did not know. But we get on. So the man said, hey, 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 
That's the leader. I said, stop, stop. He told his people, stop, stop, stop. Can't you hear? So we saw them listening. Ah. Oh yeah. We kept saying, smoking tongues. Then one of the leaders stepped out and said, you servants of God. I'm telling you this. You servants of God. We have heard what you have said. We didn't intend to come and attack you. It was this old man that came to, he was speaking now in Yoruba. It was this old man that came to influence us. That you have come to take over our land. We are sorry for whatever we have done. We are not your enemies as well. Because you have said that you are not. Yeah, I didn't know what we said. Rakaboto. So when you are speaking in tongues, God will make them hear you in your dela. The Bible did not say they spoke in those people's language. He said they had them. And I understand that. Because when I was in your cult, when we go for a cultic meeting, and people come from all tribes and nations all over the world, everybody speaks their language, but you hear them in your own language. So I understand. So the man said, no, we are not your enemies as well. We love you. We only thought you were our enemies. He was speaking Yoruba. So everybody was looking. And so they said, please come, our brothers. Let us embrace. You see, for as long as you are running away from difficult assignments, it will reduce your usefulness. So we step forward. Step forward. This young man who was on this side came to the front I said, hug me. I'm your brother. I love you. Ah. They now came and we talked. They said, we are not contrary. We just thought that you are one of those Christians who come to give you a, a yard. You take 10 yards. We didn't know that you had good intentions for us. Because what you told us while you were speaking to us was that you will help us. What we have not been able to do, we will do for us. You set up hospitals for us. You set up schools. I'm telling you. I was so shocked. The man came and we hugged each other. And we knelt down together and we caught a covenant. And the covenant was that they will never bother us again. They will be our friends. We'll be their friends. Till today, we are friends. If we had run away from that assignment, do you know that the enemy of Elori sent for me on one occasion? I couldn't make it so I sent one of our leaders. When he was celebrating the 11th year, 11th anniversary, 11th year, 11th month, 11th week, 11th day of his coronation, he gave me an award for environmental impact. You know what he said? He said, we have heard about the difference you have made in the Muslim community that ran your church. We want you to know that we know about it and we appreciate you. Do you know the traditional council of the Emirate Council? In the area where our church is, a member of our church is on that council. Serving. A pastor. Serving on an Emirate Council. Have you ever heard about that before? That's how to prevail. When we were burning churches some years ago, the community assigned some young men to come and stand in front of our church. I said, you can burn every church, but this church, you won't burn it. I won't allow you to burn it because it is our church. They begged the government to sink one borehole for them. We sank six boreholes for them. They see in us the kind of what the early missionaries were when they came to the land that we now live on. 
It's important for us to realize. You see, for as long as you are evading, you won't see God's power. You won't see God move. You won't see what God is capable of doing. Because you have never allowed him. You are afraid for your life. You have forgotten that you are a dead man. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. One of these days, pastor, we go to Iraq. And some of you will go along with him. How many of you say I will go? Raise your hand now. <laughs> now listen. Whosoever keepeth his life shall lose it. But whosoever will give his life for the gospel's sake shall keep it. Christianity is not a lifestyle for weak people. It's a lifestyle for tough people. You need to be tough. Because you see, it's not a flowery bed of ease. Look at what Christ endured on the cross. Because of you, because of me. There's nothing we can give God that can pay for what he has done for us. My prayer today is that you make up your mind in life, I'm going to prevail. I'm not going to avoid difficulties. When they give you assignments and it's not tough enough, ask pastor, add to it. I want something more difficult. When they give you assignment, you conquer, go back, say, give me another one. Give me another say, give me another one. Give me another one. That is the kind of Christianity that we want to build. Have I helped anybody today? Are you blessed today? Bow your heads. Now listen to me as you bow your heads. If there is any area in your life that you know you are facing a tough thing and you are asking God for grace, any area of your work, any area of your service that is tough, please talk to God about it. Tell him to give you grace for it. Tell him to strengthen you in that area. Tell him to perfect you in that area. Tell him to help you in that area. Tell him to strengthen you in that area. Tell him. Go ahead.